welcome to episode 141 of the Filmiac Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. This week we're talking JR's pick, Cross of Iron from 1977, directed by Sam Peckinpah. Um, and we'll also talk other stuff we watched, and uh, at least one very important trailer. And uh, maybe a little can wrap-up, you know, I figure. Worth discussing. How are you guys doing? How's everything going? Yeah. This is the end of a very long, hard week. Yeah? Yeah, so to start from the beginning, so not this, not yesterday, but the Friday, last Friday, um, my dad had a melanoma removed from his leg. And the next Sunday, he had an infection that got him into the hospital. And so that was all going on. And he was starting to, you know, get a little bit better. And then Wednesday, my mom was in a car wreck that thankfully she's okay, but the car is fucked up. Um, And then... So dad got out of the hospital yesterday, but instead of like setting him up with like some PT place like they should have, like they just sent him home and he's not really, he shouldn't really be home right now. And this morning I had to fix a flat tire. Jesus. Damn, dude. Yeah. All, all this while working Sorry. six days in a row. Yeah. So it's a bummer. Oh, oh yeah. Jeez. Well, um, all right. JR, how does your week compare? Was it equally <laughs> despairing? Not equally, only minorly despairing. My uh, dog almost killed himself by eating a, an entire corn cob. So we were at the uh, oh. we we're at the emergency vet, uh, paying a lot of money to uh, prevent his uh, gluttonous suicide. And uh, you know, other than that, though, school year ended. And that rules. Fuck yeah. It's summer. Yeah. Your your last day was uh, yesterday? Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Did they let you go early? Yeah. I'm, since I teach uh, eighth grade, I don't actually have kids that day. It's like, technically, if I could get everything done the day before, I wouldn't have to go in at all. I couldn't do that. So I was there for uh, just a couple hours in the morning. And then, uh, you know, some teachers... Uh, we left to get some some lunch and some uh, some adult beverages. It's a great start to the summer. That's the classic move. Um, well, we our la- the kids' last day was Thursday, and then we had graduation Thursday night, which we're forced to go to. And we would have been able to just not go sun uh, Friday, but we they made they're making us wear gowns to graduation now, <laughs> which is um, insane. But. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you're not like a you're not a college professor. I'm sorry, John. I'm, you're not yeah. a college professor. No, I'm not. And that's sorry. exactly the thing that they're trying to like do. They're trying to like make it seem as though we're highbrow. But um, <laughs> so they make us wear like gowns, and then so we have to come Friday because we, we have to turn in our gowns. Dude, that's <laughs> fucked. And then we were there, and they wouldn't let us go. Like <laughs> we're just everybody's just standing around like. We have nothing to do, but there's like three people who didn't do their SLTs, and um, 
And so nobody can leave until they do their SLT. It's just like, we're like children. It was embarrassing. That's so poopy. Yeah. Does, wow. the, uh, does the whole high school have to go or just people mm-hmm. that teach uh, seniors to graduation? Yeah, all, all, all teachers are required to go. It's in the contract, apparently. It's mega horseshit. Okay. Yeah. No, it is dumb, dude. I left early, though. I left... Oh, shit. Sorry. I left um, I left at... Uh, during the S's. And we went to the beer garden. And I had a big grilled cheese sandwich. And it was delicious. Uh, Mid-City Beer Garden? Or a beer garden in Zachary? Mid-City. It's in... The, the graduation is downtown. Oh, cool. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. It's just, you know, proof that... You know, Zachary really wanted to, to break away. But they don't actually want to be their own city. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't. There's a lot of like every all the teachers live there except me. So it's like there's a lot of talk about like like they go to the um, city council meetings and stuff. They're very concerned <laughs> about what's happening in the city, and I'm just like I don't know anything that's going on in in Baton Rouge or Zachary. You guys are way concerned. I'm like that. Uh, yeah. Right, also, teach. what can go on in Zachary? Like y'all have well, a Walmart. Like, like too many people of like, color could move there. Exactly. That's the well, big yeah, thing. Like yeah. they're all mad about that. Like a lot. Not, not all the teachers are like that, but there are definitely like grumblings of that. And it's like I don't know. It's really gross. And then I don't want to mess with your demographics. And yeah. then they're like they're concerned about like Target once Target just bought a bunch of swamp land like at the one into <laughs> town, and they're just mad that Target's coming for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> like they're. Oh yeah, because Target doesn't care, you know, who goes into their bathrooms. So exactly, yeah, I don't know. I yeah. don't know what it's about, but I was like, Target, you should I'm... love that Target's coming here. Target's like a clean, nice business that like never gets, yeah. like, you know, like it's like expensive, like you know, it's gonna yeah, be a uh, higher quality of individual who has to shop there. So I don't know why they'd have. You think they'd be trying to run the Walmart out of town? If anything. But yeah, because the Walmart is fucking gross. Yeah, the Walmart and Zachary is heinous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I guess, like, they already have Rouse's, so, you know, like, like, um, the yeah, guy, the guy who, okay. well, yeah, I mean, as, aside from the fact that, like, one of the owners was there on January 6th, you know. Oh, well, I mean, I, I mean, not public, I just mean, like, it's a nice, yeah, it's yeah, like a nice yeah. grocery store, like, it's clean and, yeah, you know, yeah. they have good stuff there, yeah. but. I'm surprised yeah. there's not a Chick-fil-A there, because, like, you know. I think, um, oh, no, it was Starbucks. There's going to be a Starbucks also opening uh, soon, apparently. But I, love, I was just thinking about how we're having this conversation, and, like, there's, like, we we do have, like, I, you know, we make fun of our, our own podcast. We self-deprecate that we have very few listeners, but there are listeners, and they, some of them are not in this country, and, like, they have no fucking clue where we're at or, like, what's going <laughs> on, what Zachary is or Baton Rouge. Zachary is a interact with us, you know. Yeah. If you want to find out, you know, about Zachary, Louisiana, the United States, write us. Film me a podcast. There's a thing in the United States called White Flight. Zachary is a suburb pretending to be a city because of white people. Okay. That's fair. Well, yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Um. Let's uh, let's talk about the big uh, the big winner at Cannes, Jr. Because I'm conv- I, I, it's always it's always some movie I've never heard of, even in the lead up to Cannes, even in reading That's, about Cannes. I I don't no I heard nothing true. about this movie. I swear to God. And, no, but uh, like you knew who Bong Joon Ho was before Parasite won. 
No, of course. No, no, no. I, yeah, I'm not saying. I mean, that, when I say every time, it's like, okay. like when Titan won or whatever, I was like, I never heard of that shit. I don't know who that director is, you know, or, or like a Triangle of Sadness. I know, I know, what, I knew what Triangle of Sadness was, but I certainly didn't expect it to win. And like, I so thought that it was going to be something more mainstream or more, not mainstream, but like more well known than this that won this year just because it seemed like there was like a ton of hype around Scorsese's film and a ton of hype around Glazer's film and Glazer did walk away with the Grand Prix which is cool but um the movie that won the Palm d'Or is a German film right it is German right I believe so I can look that up right now it's a uh, French definitely French although German is spoken in it but the lady the French. lady from it is is from Tony Erdman and she's German right Antonio yeah. German, a German film. Yeah. yeah Sandra, Sandra Huller. Yeah. 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 Huller. I don't know how to say that. Name. But yes. Uh, so it looks like it's French movie. Um, I have seen. Sorry, this movie's called Anatomy of a Fall. Um, I have seen one previous film from this uh, filmmaker, Justine Triet, uh, called Sybil, which was like a sort of psychological thriller type deal, uh, if I remember correctly, which I might not. Um, and I remember thinking that movie was okay, pretty good. Um, it did star the girl who would uh, be in the um, the nun movie. Come on, uh, what's the nun movie? What do we have? Benedetta, yeah. Wait, what girl? Which girl is in that movie? Uh, oh, Virginia, Virginia Afira. Afira? Okay, yeah, yeah. It's probably not Virginia. It also, it also Virginia. has uh, Adele Exarchopoulos in it. From, uh, yes, blue is warmest color. Cool, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about this movie. I, when I heard that this movie screened, the only thing I knew about it was that Neon picked it up, um, and Neon has now like picked up each of the past four uh, can winners. Yeah, it's and crazy. And they've they've done that before they won the Palm Door, uh, which is just wild. They know they have a, how to they have pick a good. Yeah, they got a, they got a nose for what's going to win, but I don't know. Um, or just what wins is in their wheelhouse. Like the thing that happens to win just happens to be like in their like you know the tastemakers that sure, yeah. are choosing. You know. Well, and uh, and Ruben Ruben Osland was the uh, the jury uh, head. You know, so it's like uh, mm. they liked Ruben Osland's last movie. They distributed um, Triangle of Sadness, and they were right. like. We got a feeling Ruben likes this one. We like this one. Let's get it. <laughs> yeah, they must be really proud of themselves. They're like, A24 can have all the Oscars. We get the Palm Doors. <laughs> and also some of the Oscars. With, right, uh, and some of the Oscars. <laughs> <with> Parasite. <laughs> yeah. Or there's a third option. Um, yeah. So back in, what was it, 82, uh, Monty Python's Meaning of Life was in Cannes. I don't remember what prize it, it won, but like uh, when Terry Jones got to France, he announced to everybody that the movie was going to win because they'd bribed the jury. Uh-huh. And <laughs> turns out it did win. And so when he did his acceptance speech, he told him the money was hidden under the gents toilets in the building. <laughs> and apparently like they went along with the joke until that part and they were like whoa 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 so maybe, maybe they just it wasn't a jury. joke yeah maybe it wasn't a joke <laughs> yeah <though>. yeah <laughs> you want to believe that they're your precious totally. monty python are clean 
but uh, <laughs> no, I know they're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, Anatomy of a Fall is, um, you know, like an investigation crime drama involves courtroom stuff, and uh, it's two and a half hours. So, yeah, the link turns me off, but I did read the plot synopsis, and it sounded pretty interesting. So, I mean, I'm definitely in to check it out. If it, I really, you know. yeah, I really liked uh, Sandra. Hewler and uh, I'm just going to pronounce that differently every time uh, in Tony Erdman and uh, everyone did, you know, like, like one of the one of the most popular um, letterbox reviews is from that IndieWire critic, David Ehrlich, who says uh, Sandra Hewler equals tar worthy. So, yeah, apparently I saw, that's I a good performance. Yeah, it's um, according to this guy. I remember when Tony Erdman came out, the, they were talking about the English language remake and uh Kristen Wiig was attached and Jack who Nicholson was, yeah, Jack Nicholson okay. was going to be the old man. I, me- I couldn't remember who the father was going to be. Okay, great. Uh you know, probably not now though. It's but. probably great that that didn't happen. Yeah. Anyway, um <laughs> but Jack Nicholson's back, man. He's at the Laker games, you know. 86 yeah. years old. Just well, cheering him on. He was back. The Lakers lost, so that's done. Oh, well, he's whatever i don't know i don't know anything about basketball it's over now okay yeah denver is in the finals dude they're just waiting who's who are they gonna play uh, you say that like that means Miami. anything to me who who is denver what team is that like the what nuggets? is their mascot the nuggets okay <laughs> we're done um well, you must be excited right the Den- denver people Get here are excited now. uh i have been a fan of their like star player just because he's good and uh as a fan of new orleans we don't get much like good basketball so being able to like i've been to a few nuggets games and i get to see good basketball and that's good nice but like i don't care i don't care for i don't care if they win uh but a lot of people around here do and that's that's fun yeah i could see it you know i could see that i mean i Personally, I enjoy it when like LSU tanks and does not do well because it makes everybody really upset. And I think that's funny. Yeah, fandom here is a little bit different. Well, actually, that's not true. Football fandom is a little bit different. And similarly, I am very happy when the Broncos suck uh, just because football is a little bit more annoying. But like last year, you know, I don't give a shit about hockey. I don't, I've never been to a hockey game. I don't know the rules of hockey. Uh, but the the Colorado Avalanche, the Denver team, they won the Stanley Cup last year, and that was that was exciting. It was exciting to peep to see people happy. Um, I just cool, don't want to see uh, the football fans happy. Yeah, exactly. I I think that is probably it because it is all football. Well, baseball too, though. I get mad when they like when they like baseball. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So let's talk about the big trailer that dropped. This week, okay. Uh, okay. finally, a trailer for Martin Scorsese's new film, Killers of the Flower Moon. Just a, a lot of talk about this one. It can has like a 99%, I think, on Rotten Tomatoes, or it did for a for a second. Might have been down, might be down now, but based on the reviews out of can, I guess only. But um, yeah, this one stars uh, you know, his go-to guys. De Niro and DiCaprio, the two Italians, and mm. uh, also stars Lily Gladstone of Certain Women fame. At least that's what I know mm-hmm. her from. And yeah, 
she's in like one episode of uh, Reservation Dogs. Oh, okay. She's in something else, but I can't remember what it is. Um, yeah, I think I looked her up uh, the other day when I when they when all the reviews were coming out of this movie, and I saw that she was in a couple of things that I sort of recognized. But it's at ninety six percent now on Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. based on fifty three reviews, which is that's pretty good. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, what did you guys think of this trailer? Trailer's a six out of five. Easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I am. I'm so pumped. I'm ready. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Also, like, is this an Apple yes. movie? Because I thought it, I thought I thought it was a Netflix thing for a long no. time. No, he was oh. with Netflix, but now he's with Apple. Uh, okay. Because Apple made a very firm commitment to uh, get theatrical distribution. Right. Uh, ah, Apple has a. They have a contract with Paramount um, for Paramount to help with the marketing and uh, basically do all the theatrical distribution for this movie. Mm. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Actually, I would prefer if it was day and date streaming, but, you know, what do you got to do? It'll be nice to see in the theater. I want to say that I want to go to the theater and then never actually have uh, four hours to devote to this. But uh, <laughs> theory, I want to go. I mean, this is the kind of thing where I will make time to see this in the theater. Mm. You know, I can't like it's just like Master Gardener was playing last week and I really wanted to see it. And I did have time, but I was just like, I really don't want to go to the theater. And it's, I just know it's going to be streaming like in a week. And uh, so I just skipped it. But this, I could, I can't skip this. Gonna have to happen. Yeah. I'm very excited. I, I really like that the trailer. I like any. It's starting to have more like any trailer that doesn't follow typical conventions of what a trailer is these days is exciting to me. So like the fact that this opens with that like very striking image of the Native Americans dancing in the in the oil. In, in extreme slow motion with the weird sort of atonal <laughs> score. And then it's just uh, the way that it's built around him, uh, DiCaprio's character reading that book, that children's book and everything really works well. And uh, just, just a really good solid trailer that gives you just the right amount of information. Well, it gives you like a tone or a mood more than plot info. Yeah. Mm. Um, how do you guys feel about there being like three sort of like all country folk musical artists in this movie? Uh, Ooh, which part I didn't they? recognize any, so yeah, like, I didn't recognize any. I just are they in the I trailer? knew that no, I just I knew that like Jason Sergio Isbell, Simpson is Sergio Simpson, Jason Isbell, and Pete Yorn. Okay, all in for, the cast. Well, I will say <laughs> start for starters. Pete Yorn is a name that sounds familiar. I wouldn't have known he was an alt country person. He's yeah. he's more of like the alt indie, alt oh. folk, alt folk okay. indie. But also uh-huh. he like had a big hit in like 2005 or 2004 when I was in high school. Okay. But uh, I know Sarah, my wife still loves him. Nice. I know, I've heard all those other names too, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who they are. I mean, I know who they are, but like not not really. You know, I wouldn't be able to pick them out of a lineup. Yeah. Or their music out of a lineup. 
Yeah, okay. unless unless it's that song, the the title song from The Dead Don't Die, then I wouldn't recognize Sturgill Simpson. Hey, you know what? I love Cold Mountain, and I love uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, and they both have musicians in them as musicians, right? Yeah. Are, is Sturgill Simpson playing a musician in this? I have no idea. He probably is. He's probably like a guy playing a guitar in a background or something. Mm. It's like in um, Mank when Bill Nye was playing Upton Sinclair. And he's just like in the background screaming about something. <laughs> Socialism, totally, you know? I 100% forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. It's cool, though. I'm into it. I'm surprised. It's weird. It is, it's a little weird, I guess. But because he's not, I don't know. He's, uh, is Scorsese a country music guy? I mean, he's a music guy, so... Yeah, but I'm trying to think of, like, if he specifically has connections well, to that world. I don't know. Sturgill Simpson and Jason Isbell are both just, like, very... They're supposed to be just, like, very cool. Oh, yeah. Very cool guys. No, um, I like that. The Pete Yorn thing is is weird. Um, he hasn't... Again, he hasn't mattered in, in 18 or so years. But... Um, and no one thinks he's cool. That I know <laughs> Except of. your wife. Yes, correct. <laughs> I mean, like, and Jason Isbell just got like, uh, you know, the HBO music documentary treatment. Uh, I think oh, they came really? out in March, and that was like a whole thing where apparently it's like it's just like very raw. He's very open and emotional, and it's very much not the sort of like just bullshit fluff that you get when you know the artist co-produces the documentary about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm, will never watch it cause I don't care about this guy's music. So I have no way of verifying that, but speaking you know, of, um, we'll see the HBO documentary treatment. What about this other, uh, Scorsese project, the documentary about the guy from the goo, not the goo dolls, the uh, New York dolls. <laughs> I would you love this. I would love to have a goo goo dolls documentary. <laughs> yeah. That band, that band legitimate like buffalo new york <laughs> hard punk band before that album with iris but okay continue well i mean have you guys heard about this did you watch the trailer for that no 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 i didn't oh really he's like a, um it's you know it's like in the line in line with his um who's the the woman who he does docs about constantly the new york social friend friend Leibowitz. yeah it's like that sort of thing it, it's this but it's this guy um from the New York Dolls, who also had a career in the 80s where he became uh, Buster Poindexter, like an alternate, like a lounge singer type guy. And he had a big hit as that persona. And uh, mm-hmm. and it's apparently like that. It's, I can't remember which way it is. It's either him performing Buster Poindexter songs on stage or it's Buster Poindexter performing New York Dolls songs on stage or something. But it's also like him talking about his life and shit. It's like a one-man show. But uh, mm. he co-directs with Scorsese. So, um, But real quick before we move on, um, the Sturgill Simpson character is uh, named... Uh, mm-hmm. So is Jason Isbell. I just don't recognize the name, the name that he's playing. Uh, like Sturgill Simpson is playing someone involved with the investigation, um, and I don't think he's a musician. Okay. And I also, right next to Sturgill Simpson's name, is Jack White, and I didn't even recognize it uh, until just oh. now. Uh, Jack White's in here as radio show actor. 
Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Hey, he was great in Cold Mountain. It's been way too long. He needs to get back on that horse. I'm glad. I'm glad you, you didn't name who was in there, so I'm glad we could uh we could close that close that little circle. Um <laughs> sorry, just real quick. It's not an HBO documentary, it's a Showtime documentary. It's called Personality Crisis, directed by Martin Scorsese and David Tedeschi. Okay. Mm. Do you know so. do we have a release date? This is can you, Google that? Can you Google that for me? I'm looking at it right now, but I'm on the IMDb page. I should be able to see a release date, but I cannot because it's not on the IMDb page, so I will Google it. Hang on. Personality crisis release date. Um, it, while you're doing that, just back to this trailer. Uh, April April 14th. Okay. It's been out for a long time. Oh, shit. Mm. Jesus <laughs> okay. Um. I, I think it was really smart to not go into, you know, the plot specifics here because uh, just having read this book, which I just I highly recommend that everyone yeah, read this book. It's just it's really okay. uh, it's really good. And I'm really I'm really happy that I that I read it or rather listened to it. Um, I think I told you guys that it's like a five hour listen. That is wrong. It's nine. Um, but it's still it, short. But it definitely like was yeah. one that I listened to over the course of two days, um, listening to it more than just on my commute because I was uh, engrossed. Um, and I, I just have a feeling that they have likely added a lot here, um, just because I, I think it would make a truly bizarre movie if they just stuck to to exactly what happens. And maybe uh, Scorsese has made just a bizarre movie, but. Um, God, I hope so. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. excited. <laughs> I, am, I am so curious I, to see I how hope, this plays out. You know, he's just going. I hope he's going full, you know, Bowie on this thing, you know, because like, <laughs> no, think about it, like, because you have like, so you have um, reality in 2003, which is kind of you know, it's there's a lot of good stuff on reality, but it's not like groundbreaking stuff and then you know like 10 years later you have the next day which is kind of reality part two like uh-huh. again it's good stuff but it's not like mind-blowing and but then you know you have black star which you know the album opens with this nine minute piece that goes in a bunch of different places and it's you perfect. know sue in a season of crime which he had he had released as this like big band jazz thing. Now, like he re-recorded it and now it sounds more like King Crimson in, you know, the nineties, early two thousands. And, you know, he's just going, you know, all these different directions and doing a lot of like cool experimental things. So Yeah. yeah, I hope, I hope that he's, that Scorsese has gone black star on this. I mean, from the look, from the look of the trailer, it, it would appear as though he's very much in the sort of uh, aesthetically like still like Irishman territory. I mean, he uses some of the same stuff, like that ultra slow-mo stuff that he was doing. He did, he did that in, in, uh, in Irishman and in silence um, mm. quite a lot. So I don't, and he's using the same, he's using uh, Rodrigo Prieto, the same d- director of photography for those films as well. So I don't know that it's going to be 
drastically different. Although, you know, but I mean, we're talking about structurally, so maybe structurally it'll be weird. I don't know. I mean, I'm just excited. I don't care. I mean, it could be <laughs> conventional as fuck. It's like it's Scorsese. It's going to be great. I just can't. I'm super excited. Mm. Um, so, yeah, moving on, let's uh, let's talk about what we watched. All right. Wants to begin. I've only got about 15 things, so. <laughs> then you then you should probably begin. It sounds like a you thing. Um, okay, well I'll just I mean I can I can talk very little about some of them. Um, so I uh, sorry I'm like reading I'm literally reading letterbox reviews on my phone while I have it up <laughs> on my computer. Um, I watched a good person directed by Zach Braff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, the sleeper hit of uh, yeah. of John's 2023 list. It's like, I well, like that you couldn't get through that sentence because you know, you know, <laughs> I know what. <laughs> Continue. Okay. Continue. Um, this movie is directed by Zach Braff, who's, uh, you know, he was on Scrubs, but he's also famous for directing uh, Garden State, the the indie movie that of all time, and. Um, Ruined cinema. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw it five times in the theater. So it was, <laughs> I can't deny its impact on me as like a young cinephile, but I certainly, I don't think I would appreciate it now. Um, mm. Or not as much. Uh, but a good person. I just remember seeing the trailer for this and thinking it was like really strange that Florence Pugh is in this movie because it's like, it feels like beneath her. Because <laughs> it's like, it's like, a, it's a Zach Braff movie. And it stars Morgan Freeman in like the absolute twilight end of his career, you know what I mean? Like he's he's doing like straight to video garbage constantly, and like Molly Shannon is a co-star in this. It's just like it's just like a really low level, low stakes kind of project, and it's about this woman who is uh, engaged to be married to this man, and she gets into a car accident when she's driving with the man's um, her future sister and brother-in-law and uh they die and she has to deal with the repercussions of that and her relationship falls apart and everything but it's uh when you actually watch the film the thing that they don't i don't think they get into this in the in the trailer at all because it was a surprise to me is that she's like an addict like she's um a, a drug user and that she may or may not have been on drugs at the time of the crash. Oh, okay. And um, uh, these kinds, what's what's what? Well, drugs and addiction are heavily featured in the trailer. However, are they? The way the way they are in the trailer definitely makes it seem like she uh like she went she to them after turns to drugs, turns to pills to to kind of deaden herself. But that that then that's essentially what happens. But like there is this like constant like she's quick to tell everyone around her that you know she wasn't high when that was going on and that you know that wasn't her fault and that she you know that this person pulled out in front of her that kind of thing she's constantly like sort of trying to cast the blame off of herself and it's sort of you know it's zach braff so you can imagine how like sort of heavy-handed some of the writing choices are in this as far as that goes like like just the way characters especially her character um 
like that that constant casting casting the blame off of herself it like sort of culminates in this you know and obviously this is epiphany or realization about her actual culpability in the situation and allows her to grow as a person that sort of thing but um which is very cliche and like not super well done but the thing that is incredibly well done is just like Florence Pugh's performance is like really fucking good in this, like way better than it needs to be for the level of movie that this is. Um, she's like, she's just, she, and if this were a, a movie directed by other people released at a different time of year, she would definitely be in the Oscar race, I think. Um, and, uh, Morgan Freeman too, like Morgan Freeman does like a crazy good job in this for something that he could easily have phoned in, you know, like it's a, <laughs> It's just this almost like a VOD movie. I mean, it's not a VOD movie. It was released in theaters, but it's like it's close. You know, you could easily see this going straight to VOD. <laughs> but he really they both give it their all, those two in particular. And um, yeah, it's they're the reason that it's watchable and enjoyable at all. It's just seeing how crazy good Florence Pugh is in this. And it's just another example of like. You know, you might have thought, um, or not you guys, but like people in general, I, I honestly kind of thought maybe like, you know, flash in the pan, maybe I'm remembering little women differently now, or like, you know, maybe she's not as good as I thought, but she's fucking really good. Yeah. In it, so I don't she's know. great. Yeah. She's, she's good. She's terrific. I get, you know, it is, I, I have people that I follow on social media who like, worship her because of her not because of her acting talent but because of like her um social media messaging you know like how she has she wears her dresses that show her tits and everything and she's like i don't give a fuck about you know what people think and women's lib and all that kind of stuff which is fine too but it's like it's just like those are (laughs) and it's like i don't like the people who do who like you know uh sort of respect that about her more than her acting ability or who don't talk mm. about her as an actress they talk about her as like some kind of a social justice warrior or something i think she's just a great actress so check out a good person you know i God, i probably will because you're gonna make me <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, you don't have to it is and, a 2023 uh, release and this movie like certainly was beneath her right like I don't know. You do your boy, you do your boyfriend a solid. Exactly. And it is a, it's an interesting case of like a, a, like one or two performers just completely elevating what would otherwise probably be trash, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It, it really like, so Forrest Pugh and Zach Braff were in a relationship for multiple years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I I just have to imagine that is why this came to be. Um, yeah. So I think uh, I think Zach Braff got uh, something very good out of that relationship. I'm sure they both got lots of wonderful times out of that relationship. Um, 20 year age difference. Great. Jesus. <laughs> you gotta imagine so, like how do does we, how does she's she, an adult? Do we want? No, yeah, totally. She but she's like she just even though she's way younger. And that technically he's like, he probably has more money than she does even, you know what I mean? But like syndication money. Yeah, exactly. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but it's like, but she's such a higher level than he is right now, critically. You know what yeah. I mean? Like she's been nominated for an Oscar and she's like the it girl in Hollywood. It's just like, it's bizarre that she, it feels like she's dumpster diving dating Zach Braff, but I don't know. <laughs> you know? It's a you weird know, it's choice. It's funny, like, the other day um, I had seen a couple of, like, headlines. I didn't bother to read the articles. But there were headlines about Florence Pugh saying that um, when she started doing bigger stuff, like, there were people in independent movies who were upset because Specifically, they yeah, the, lost the Marvel her now. Movie, right? Well, yeah, like, okay, like, the one, the one Marvel movie that she did, but, you know, like, like, you know, Midsummer, Little Women, like, you know, these are, like, studio, like, bigger, you know, movies, and, you know, she's only, like, A24. No, one of them is A24, I don't know what uh, Little Women is. A24 might be, like, the, you know, the runt of the litter, but it's still a studio, like, it's, you know... It's got its own clout, you know, beyond, you know, it's it's not like, you know. Uh, yeah, she said, you, um, you know, like, uh, like, sorry, I have view askew, you know, Kevin Smith's company, you know, I have the quote here. She said, uh, so many people of the indie film world were really pissed off at me. They were like, God, now she's gone forever. And I'm like, no, I'm working as hard as I used to work. I've always done back to back movies. It's just people are watching them now. You have to be yeah. a bit more organized with your schedule. She says, uh, that was, yeah, that was about, um, joining Marvel. But now it's like, I guess she's, she also mentions Dune and Oppenheimer in this. Mm, yeah. Which I'm I just thought it was weird because, because like, the character, know. the character she plays in Oppenheimer, I was actually reading about the character, the, 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 it's, um, Oppenheimer's ex and, uh, of course really, it is. Is she dead? Interesting character. Well, they're all dead now, dude. No, is she dead? Before? What? <laughs> I mean, she's she's probably dead. I don't know. Nolan's women are always dead. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say if she's dead or not. That's <laughs> she's dead now. I'll say that they're all dead, of course, because these people are middle aged in the in the forties. So. <laughs> <laughs> so funny you say that that's crazy all right who wants to go next uh i'll go next um so i finally got around to watching the host directed by bong joon ho and like this is the second of his i guess you could technically call them creature features this and uh okja um and i have to say like his like you know, it's CGI, but, like, it looks really good. Like, in a way that I don't... I guess you wouldn't necessarily expect. Because, like... I th- I think that, like, from... I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe it was Lord of the Rings. Maybe it was Cloverfield. But, like, monsters in movies tend to kind of all look the same way nowadays. But... Uh, this one looks really good, and it's like the physicality of the monster is really like interesting. It's like doing these like acrobatic stuff under this bridge, and yeah, so like that was something that really stood out. But like, 
So the host is about this poor family who has like an Olympic level um, archer that they're watching on TV who kind of chokes at the last minute and doesn't doesn't win the tournament. But um, all of a sudden, because of uh, all this formaldehyde in the river, this mutant thing has popped up and started like snatching people. And one of them is Song Kang Ho's daughter. And so he and his family have to try to save her. And it goes into a lot of like really interesting and different places. Like, so like part of it is like they're thinking that there's some sort of contagion that um, the monster has been spreading around, but uh, that tends to go like. Like it's it's weird that like the higher ups are like sticking with that story and like they're not acknowledging that there's a monster at all. Um, And I think that's an interesting way of like, you know, showing how, you know, higher ups can just really just blank everything out and assert their own agendas uh, but yeah, the host is very good. Like Bong Joon Ho is just a good filmmaker, good solid filmmaker, and I can't wait to watch more of his stuff. I don't know if I would go that far, uh, <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, like no, I, I have you know I've only seen like you know four of his movies, but none of them have been below a four star. So I mean, I think this is uh, this is the best movie of 2006. It's in the top 50 of this Ooh. entire century. It's, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's only a few movies better than it. One of them is his movie Memories of Murder. Mm. And I cannot wait for Mickey 17. No, Parasite's not better. Parasite's awesome, though. Parasite is better. Sorry. Deal with it. (laughs) There you've seen the host. I can tell you Parasite's better. (laughs) I don't know. I I I, I need to. I like Parasite the the best of the bunch so far, but, uh, I don't know, like, I like I said, I'm looking forward to Mickey 17 because like him yeah, and too. Pattinson in sci-fi, I'm here for it. I should no, make I us don't... all watch uh, watch Mother. That was uh, I do want to watch that. I loved Mother when it came out, and I haven't seen it in a very Aronofsky long time. and Jennifer Lawrence, I love it. I guess, sorry, the the Mother <laughs> is it called the Mother? No, I think they're both called Mother, but yeah. yeah. Hey, I, I'm yeah. I you I don't I don't mean to burst your bubble about the best of 20 2006, but uh, the oh, fountain the came fountain. out in 2006, <laughs> but I think you're done. I think it's over. <laughs> Can't keep up, my friend. You fucking guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else came out? Inland Empire. So you're done. Uh, Inland Empire moved up my list of uh, 2006. Oh, yeah. Did, did you mm-hmm. go back and listen to our episode about it? No, I... Pretty sure I listened to that before, but no, I did not. I was uh, well, sorry, Kevin. I'll talk. I'll just talk about Inland no, Empire ahead. for my turn. Um, so yeah, I watched Inland Empire. I promised at the end of the last episode that I was going to do that. Uh, after we finished recording, or maybe I said that off, off. Uh, no, well, yeah, I don't know. You like, did whatever. say it though. Uh, and I did that, and I was like, I'm going to watch part of it and then go to sleep, and I didn't watch part of it and go to sleep i just watched the right. whole fucking thing until like 3 a.m yeah. uh, 
which I think was actually like an appropriate time to do that. Uh, you know, I opened a beer. Um, I did not take any drugs, but a beer was good with my just sort of fatigue. Sure. And the film, the film is the drug. Right. But. Exactly. And, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a movie that I, I don't feel like I can get too deep into, except that I was just reminded like that how good this era of David Lynch is, um, the, the, the mole, I guess the, the century era, the Mulholland drive era, is that fair to call yeah, it? Yeah, sure. But, um, post 2000s. There's, there's a bunch of stuff in the beginning of this film, not like the, not like the rabbit stuff, but uh, just the the Laura Dern character and her setup and what she's doing. Um, a lot of that reminded me of Mulholland Drive, um, and what Naomi Watts is doing initially, and then just to see things sort of like just the way things break down and the way that the structure of the movie just sort of like keeps like going into these rabbit holes uh, that leave you just disoriented at every turn. Uh, it was just this brilliant stuff. It was awesome. It's a, uh, it's such a good and just horrifically ugly movie. I, <laughs> it, it wouldn't make any sense for this movie to like look good and be shot on film or anything, but um, there is a barrier to entry within Lin empire. I mean, yeah, I agree. it's insane and it's ugly as fuck. I was gonna say, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it's like even if it were the most beautiful film on earth, that would, it would still be a barrier to entry. It's like it's three hours long. It's complete. It's like incomprehensible to the average person, probably. Who's like, I mean, it's incomprehensible to me, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm into Lynch, yeah. so it's like, it's a strange picture for sure. But it rocks. That I went up. It. it went up. My um. Yeah, it didn't like go up far in my Lynch list because it wasn't like low or anything. And also, his movies are all uh, for what the did most it jump? What did it jump ahead of? I jumped it ahead of Wild at Heart. Really? Um, which is another one I haven't seen in a long time. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I can go there with you. I love Wild you know, at Heart. You know, maybe I just need to watch Wild at Heart, and maybe that yeah. will that maybe that'll jump back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and good. I think it, uh, it, you know, so like disappointed to have to do this, but it did end up jumping, um, into the top 10 of 2006 for me at number 10. And it just killed me to have to push crank to number 11. <laughs> uh, but in a way, 11 <laughs> is the perfect place for crank. Crank. You're <laughs> I, out see, of your mind. I see what you did there. Oh man. It really that really was my number ten though. You know, <laughs> I was um I was at my uh my dad's house earlier and my nephew who was visiting says to me, Hey, have you seen the new John Wick movie? And I said, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I he said, What do you think about it? I said, It's horrible, dude. It's the worst movie of the year. Like I hated it. I hated everything about it. And then he's like, um, and then he, and then he's like, oh man, that sucks. I was like, no, 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 you'll probably love it. Like, I, everybody I talk to thinks it's great. I said, I have a friend who I do a podcast with, 
and he gave it a four out of five. And I actually really respect his opinion. So I'm totally confused by his rating for it. But then I started talking <laughs> about how I was like, he's one of these guys who can like, you know, just turn his brain off and just, you know, it's just fun. It's just a fun, goofy, stupid movie and it's good, you know, and I like to watch it. And uh, I was like, that's how like the average movie fan reacts to movies. So I think that that's, you know, like the average person who goes to movies doesn't care about the movie. They're just there to be entertained. And that's, you know, I, think about it afterwards, right? I really <laughs> wanted to have time to watch Plane uh, just so I could yeah. continue to yell at you. As... I wish you would. There's JR. Listen, listen to me carefully. There is nothing to compare between Plane and this this movie, John Wick Chapter Four. Okay, they they have nothing to do with one another at um, all. I just I have a feeling that they're both pretty dumb. They're not. Like <laughs> John Wick is. I mean, if they're both dumb, and by dumb you mean like you know cheeseburger by comparison to the fountains filet mignon then <laughs> then uh you know sure but like john wick chapter four and i will i will just talk about this right now um we're, we're doing good segues let's do it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. john wick chapter four directed by chad stahelski is uh the worst of the series and worst of the year for me um and i and i was watching it and uh when I was awake, because I did fall asleep twice because it was insanely boring. But when I <laughs> when I was awake, I actually was thinking about why is this so bad? Like, what is making this so much worse than the other films for me? And specifically worse than, say, the first film, which I actually do like um, and wanted to rewatch, but didn't just in that time. Um, and I, and I, I think I figured it out. I really think I figured it out what I dislike about this movie and what doesn't work about it, especially in comparison to the first film. And that is that, you know, the, we've talked about this before. I don't love the world building in John Wick. I don't love the idea of like this underground, like society with the coins and the hotels that are safe havens. So I think it's all kind of goofy and like the gangs who are like, there's a homeless gang and there's a gang of priests or whatever you know it's like different it's like the warriors you know and i mean this there's a scene in this <laughs> film specifically that's a seems to be an homage to the warriors people have talked about it but um the my problem with with this film is that what makes the first film interesting and it's like the first film is dumb okay but what makes it interesting is that john wick is a uh tactical methodical machine of a killer right and he cannot be destroyed cannot be beaten like he's just fucking annihilating everybody he comes in contact with because who he's fighting are russian mobsters right yeah in in this movie everyone he fights is another john wick like everybody's at the level where they're they're all wearing kevlar leisure yeah. suits if they're, they're if they're not john around. wick they're wearing bulletproof yeah from head to toe it's in, well, they it's all are just, anyway. and and it and it's like and it doesn't take him any longer to dispatch them there's just more of them the fight sequences of this movie are like 27 I, minutes i long. do think well i do think it takes longer there are so many bullets wasted on on shooting kevlar vests and I shirts agree. that's that and that is that I, I think every single kill takes a long time because Fair, of maybe. the bulletproof and, and honestly maybe that's why the, the fight scenes last 25 minutes which is like insufferable 
and then there's literally like 20 minutes of just like brooding and like minimal dialogue and just like horrible cliche after horrible cliche after horrible platitude that you've heard 900 times life is not about revenge. It's just like, like who cares? Like how, who could take this seriously? And there's no, like all the humor in this movie is built into one character and it's, and he's not funny. Like Donnie Yen is not a comedian. I don't know why they lay all of the comedic beats on this guy. He's horrible in this. Didn't they do that in Rogue One too? Or I didn't just find him funny in Rogue One though. He was like he was trying to. He was like. Was it his partner who was funny? Yeah, I think it was. One of those the, guys were funny. Yeah, it was definitely one, one of, of those guys. Was supposed to be funny. funny. Yeah, right, yes, supposed sorry. to be. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Scarecrow was funny. But anyways, I thought Donnie Yen was terrible in this. I thought uh, Keanu Reeves was like bad. But I will say that the only thing interesting about this movie is when. John Wick is on screen. If John Wick isn't fighting, if if they the minute they start focusing on these other characters fighting, I'm totally checked out. Like I'm I'm already most of the way checked out. When they start focusing on that like that Asian lady or like her dad fighting in the hotel, I'm like, who are these people? Who gives a fuck? Like, why are we watching this? It's a British Japanese pop star, you <laughs> psycho. I know who I, I, mean, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not I'm aware kidding. of who she is, but I'm aware of her, like the, the guy who plays her father is like a big deal right now. Or people love him anyway, he's but it's just, like, it's, he's a guy who's in everything for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. But it's just like, who can, but it's like, I don't know him. Like he's not a character we've been following. Like, why are we watching him fight? Who cares? It just feels congratulatory to the, to the, like the fanboys out there who, who love bullet train, you know? And like, oh, it's the guy from Bullet Train. It's awesome. It's okay. like, it's right, the worst, on. dude. It's... I want to be clear. Yeah, good. I did not like Bullet Train. I know. Okay. <laughs> Just, I need that. I need that stated publicly. Again, I will say. I will say though that it's like, honestly, well, it's not. I was gonna say it's weird to not like Bullet Train and like this movie to the degree that you seem to like it, but. They're not super comparable, I would get, I guess, but it's. But I think about like the fans of of like Stahelski and the fans of these films are like those. They're 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 totally um, well, crossover, I mean, right? I mean, anybody like this. I think that Bullet Train, the makers of Bullet Train, certainly wanted there to be, uh, like they didn't want a Venn diagram. They wanted it to be the same circle for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I, I I thought like Bullet Train, we're. Much of Bullet Train sucked, but I thought like the most offensive stuff in Bullet Train was just like the just the desperate attempts to be super funny, and all, a lot of times it was sort of like to try and be like Marvel funny, mm-hmm. um, with just like that kind of uh, you know stupid cleverness. Um, you know the the Brad Pitt like the shtick that he is doing, where he just like can't believe I keep getting into this shit, um, was like a very <laughs> I don't know, like idiot sort of uh like Tony whatever, Iron Man, what's his name? Tony something. Tony Stark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like buffoon Tony Stark on a train. I, I, I hated a lot of it. Anyway, uh Kevin, I have a, a comment about one reason I think that I like the world building in John Wick. Uh-huh. Uh I think that it reminds me of the Dresden Files and like that world. Um, I think the Dresden Files as a book series uh, is better or gets better than you know John Wick, but um, I think there's some similarities there. Yeah, I would agree to that. Um, Dresden Files is, is yeah, it's, it's magic. It's literally magic, not 
just underground assassins. Well, can I say that? No, yeah. I mean that, that's that's a that's sort of like um, you know, that's that feels like that's the end of any sort of an argument that we could have, right? Because then it's like, oh. then it's like you're, you're like you can't. It's not even you defending. It's just like it's a personal like a a, a personal connection well, that you have. And, and I'm not. Yeah, I don't mean to defend it that way i'm just like that is something specific that has recently come to mind and i know that kevin has been reading uh sure reading some of those books no i mean and, and uh, i mean, finished that the series oh cool it would be fine if that were the case that you're saying you know like this is this is why i like it because or this is the reason i like the world building specifically you know because it's like that's not there's nothing i can fuck with about that because it's like if you have some kind of reason that you like that and it's beyond the actual film itself then i mean you know god bless <laughs> you know and I will say also that you know the connection between Bullet Train is not completely arbitrary either, right? It's it's uh, no. the guy who directed it co-directed the first John Wick, so no, that's absolutely absolutely. Yeah. Which um, and it, that's a reason. Like I before I saw a trailer for Bullet Train, I was interested in Bullet Train just because of, right. of the connection. I think I was interested after the first trailer, even maybe. Maybe there was one trailer that I was like pretty sure gave away the entire plot of the movie. Not that that like really matters, Mm. but I was just like, what are they, what are they trying to sell me here? I know that they show Michael Shannon in one of the trailers. And I remember thinking when I was watching the movie, they're like really trying hard not to show that it's Michael Shannon who plays his character. I was like, he's in the fucking trailer. Like when there's, there was a, um, one of the trailers showed, um, Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock standing at the wreckage of the train. That's like the oh, last right, scene yeah. of the movie. It's like yeah, what's like the big reveal on? of Sandra Bullock. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> um yeah, so um I don't know. I don't I don't have like a in depth sort of analysis of John Wick chapter four. It was just like really assaultive, uh you know, sensorily. Like it was just like really loud and obnoxious and um when it wasn't loud it was boring for me i just couldn't i don't know it made me want to go to sleep and so i did in my classroom while i was watching it this past week <laughs> so i had nothing yeah, I mean, else to do i i definitely nodded off a couple of times in part two um and yeah, yeah like the sure. only time the only reason i saw part three was you know i was stuck in portland and needed to kill some time so well there's also like this movie is almost three hours long which is just like, you know, I mean, I understand why it is from the perspective of like a studio who is mm. potentially saying goodbye to their cash cow, although, you know, they're not. But uh, um, no. yeah, but in fact, officially they, they're not. Right, they I said know. that five is currently in development. Who right. knows yeah. what that it's so means, funny. Yeah. It's so funny to read that headline too. the day after I'm reading all the IMDb stuff on the trivia on chapter four, where they've interviewed Keanu Reeves and he's saying he's not interested in coming back and he'd only come back if there was a good reason. And now this kind of thing is, Oh, the good reason is they're going to pay him $20 million or whatever, probably, you know? So yeah. His integrity like, goes know. right out the window. Yeah. I was like, I was watching a interview with uh, Jason Alexander a while back and like, he was talking about like, he didn't want to do Dunstan checks in. He was like, what am I going to do in a movie with a kid and an orangutan? And like, you know, they kept offering him money and he was like, no, no. And but then they came to him like, look, we'll pay you a shit ton of money. We'll give you your own office on the studio and we'll give you like, you know, you can, you know, make your own stuff here. 
And he's like, okay, well, fuck, you know, like it's Might as well. It's yeah, it's fiscally irresponsible of him to not do it at that point. <laughs> so I will say um, about uh, chapter four, the the lady who plays Akira, the pop star that he was mentioning that Jared was talking about, mm-hmm. very attractive young lady. So, <laughs> I, you know, I could watch her and more stuff. She's very, very beautiful. And you can go watch a bunch of music videos with her. It's uh, Rina Sawayama. Nah. Yeah, I'm not gonna. She's watch um, <laughs> it on mute, you know. I yeah. watch. I mean, it's uh, it's pop music, and it's um, this isn't a sell. I don't think it's gonna sell you on her music. Okay. Uh, but it's like it's very like new metal inflected pop, and <laughs> that's uh, weird. and that's like bizarre to like hear. That this, does sound strange. This girl like singing a pop song. But there are parts that sound like they're corn songs. It it doesn't make uh, a ton of sense to me. So it's. I will say up- it's like it's interesting to see like like you know um, it's hard to judge her performance as like being good or bad in this movie. But I mean like she's obviously competent as an actor, and it's just weird how you can just like they they apparently just plucked her out of like you know like some like I think I was reading about like. Stahelski like was looking for someone to cast as as that character and he just saw one of her videos or somebody showed him one of her videos and he just got in contact with her and hired her. It's just weird how like you can just, you know, oh she's a musician, so of course she can act and then she actually can. It's just bizarre. Yeah, I mean I don't I doubt anyone would say like she's the worst performance in this movie. Right. Um I don't think. Because that would be Donnie Yen. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, he's, I mean, he's not good, but whatever, you know, I mean, some of the stuff, like he's like a blind swordsman. So it's like the classic, um, sort of, uh, trope, but it's also, I don't know, like there, there were, there were things that could have been interesting about it. Like, I sort of like the idea of like the, during his, one of his earliest fights, like he uses those doorbell things. I thought that was great. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a cool idea, but it's like. I don't know. Something about it didn't work for me. Well, it's a cool idea, but it's, it's like very, I I think they, they build these movies in terms of set pieces. So Mm -hmm. it's like, we've used an idea for the set piece, so we're not going to use it again. So like, you never have to see him be like clever in that way again. Right. So like you, you've told us this one time that he has this in in his arsenal. He can, he, he does think this way because he does have a limitation but uh, going forward, that will no longer be a limitation, and he will not have to think this way. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, that that's a good. That's well said. It's like it's strange that he sort of never has to be clever like that again. And it's not like it's not as if he doesn't do more fighting. He does tons of fighting. So. A lot of fighting. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know. It's just something like like there's also like clumsy sort of like you know guy playing a blind person stuff like where he like. Anytime he reaches for something, he like knocks into it, you know. It's just like, I mean, come on, dude. I don't know. Wow. Like he he manages to stick people in the heart and shoot people with a gun, and he can't see. But he if he's reaching for that tray, he's gonna knock the bottom of it first, and then have to, you know. I don't know. Is that is that like legit or is that like a put on? You know, it's like. Um, I mean, I think it's done for comedic value partially, but it just doesn't make sense. You know, in in terms of his, I don't think the character is doing it to be funny. I think Donnie Yen's doing it to be funny. 
past oh, the character. kind of kind of offensive. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know, I think, uh, but I think in this kind of movie, it, you know, nobody's nobody's scrutinizing. But that was, and that was also like very much a um, a Zatoichi trope. Um, oh really? Which I I very much felt like he, you know, he's he's being Zatoichi. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Zatoichi was uh, was constantly drinking and fumbling, and then he gets into a fight, and he is uh, obviously unbeatable and the best swordsman in the world. Okay, well that's fair. I mean, if it's an homage, then that's fair. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I, I've never seen a Zatoichi movie, so I'm I think I'm pretty sure it's an homage. But that's you know again, but it, a movie something in a movie shouldn't work only because it's an homage um, i agree you know like yeah. i, I it, it makes sense having seen all of those movies why i would recognize that and be okay with it but it should also work for someone who hasn't seen them yeah I agree they should find it. a way to make it work yeah it, it working solely on the fact that it's a, a reference or an illusion is uh, uh, is Fan service, you know, and, and I, mean? I it's think, like, yeah, if they had found a way for him to to more effectively be a clown in the moments where he's not fighting, maybe it would have worked. But uh, since you know, you've obviously said it's like you find it deeply unfunny everything that he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I was waiting for something to make me because I'm pretty like diplomatic or objective about that sort of thing. Like if if even if I hate, like I'll be listening to um like film junk, the the podcast that I listen to the most, they'll have one of their old co-hosts on Greg and I hate Greg. I don't think he's funny at all. He's like a nightmare, but then every <laughs> now and then he will say something that is like clever and I will laugh at it. And I'll be like, that's not bad. That's okay. You know? <laughs> like I even say it to myself out loud. Like, that's all right. You know, like it's okay to laugh at that. Like this guy, he gets one every 1500 tries, you know, it sucks though. <laughs> also, um, uh tangent they only bring greg on for the marvel movies and you fucking yeah. hate the marvel movies too or just it's superhero true. movies in general but, yeah uh, mostly yeah. marvel movies but that wasn't always the case i mean I, I i've disliked him since he was a regular host so yeah yeah, sure. <laughs> you know it was just like now it's like it's hard for him to to get back in your good graces he's only talking about marvel movies and he's often uh much more forgiving of them than you would ever be you're right about that. No, it's, All, except for when know. he just fucking hates one, which also happens occasionally. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I'm and I'm also not as I I don't get as upset when he's a guest anymore as I used to. The worst ones are like the last time he was a guest, Jay wasn't there. It's like when Jay's not there and he is there, it's like, oh my god, what the fuck are we doing? I don't you know. So I think that was Guardians. Yeah, I gotta listen to two hours anyway. of shit. Anyways, um, that's a yeah, better so podcast that's, than ours. That's so. uh, John Wick Chapter Four. Not my cup of tea. Bottom of the list for 2023 for me so far. So uh, yeah, enter at your own risk. You know, uh, uh, Kevin Clancy Brown is in this movie though. So yeah, <laughs> I saw that. Um, he doesn't do anything cool. He doesn't do anything at all. He literally has like four lines. <laughs> I mean. As, as far as I'm concerned, Clancy Brown has already peaked because he plays Red Death in the Venture Brothers, where okay. he's like, like he's this like, um, like sort of Hellraiser looking super villain that rides like a you know hell horse and has a giant scythe and Jesus. you know like they're you know I like love at, that you know at one point you have you know it's you know it's Clancy Brown you know the Kurgan you go know, like Doctor Venture I come for your soul. But then, you know, he's like talking 
like he's talking himself up into some kind of evil. And then his wife's like, oh, and do you want a brownie with this? Brownies? Yes, mm-hmm. please. You know, uh, Kevin is incredible. Uh, this actor with one of like the most unique and imposing like body types um, that like <laughs> that the film has ever seen. Like his peak is a voice role. Awesome. In the Venture <laughs> Brothers. Venture Brothers I cannot, is awesome. I cannot overstate how amazing the Venture Brothers is. Venture Brothers and continues is awesome. to be, you know. But yeah, um, but yeah, and you know, like he's ma- he's made a probably a bigger name for himself as a voice actor because you know he's Mr. Krabs, he's uh, Lex Luthor, um, any number of other things. I, mean, I forget these. Well, he, he's certainly made more money as a voice actor. I think I did oh, not know sure. that he was uh, Mr. Krabs. Okay. Yes. That's yeah. Wild. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. I'll do two real quick. Um, my wife and I watched Pitch Perfect, which uh, at a certain point I was like, okay, I recognize this sort of story. And um, so, so you're gonna say and, you recognize the quad at LSU? No, I but. did. <laughs> yeah, I recognize the quad. I recognize the lake. I recognize, you know, the um, uh, the uh, the uh, pool that is you know actually off limits um you know any number yep. of lsu locations that are you know all throughout that movie um and then so my wife asked me to bring home everything everywhere all at once so i was like okay you know um i didn't like it very much but i'll get it for you and then so I was telling her about Swiss Army Man, which has Danny Radcliffe, and she's a fan of Radcliffe, so we watched it. And this is a movie that like has like I think I've seen it like three times, and this is like like it kind of keeps going down for me. <laughs> <laughs> Not like drastically, because like yeah, like once you get past like the just you know fucking insane weirdness that is all through the movie it's like yeah they are they are actually touching on you know some themes that you know are pretty relevant especially today with like you know not being able to not being able to connect with someone because of you know societal norms or whatever and feeling disconnected and needing some sort of security blanket to you know just get through your life but it's still just so fucking weird and it it gets you know it's weird for like no like no reason and and yeah like you know i've like i've said many times before like it's it's just not good it's not as good as the nightmare of milky joe from the mighty boosh because (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because Howard and um, Vince get stranded on an island. Next thing you know, Howard has made Milky Joe, which is this coconut that he's like put a face on. And he's like discussing like uh, I forget the actual philosopher, but it's, it's not Heidegger or whoever, but it's like or Kant or somebody like that. And then, yeah. Sorry, and then. Yeah. And then like, yeah. So then Vince goes off and like, you know, founds his own like coconut people society. And (laughs) the next thing you know, like Howard has made this girlfriend coconut and 
it ends up being an abusive relationship and he accidentally kills her and then they're trying to hide the body and then like the coconut cops are after them and then finally they get rescued so yeah again you know like very very similar to what's going on in swiss army man but you know because it's a you know a tight like 30 minutes <laughs> yeah it's much better Well, the uh, the coconut thing is uh, a direction that the movie I watched could have gone in, but it didn't. I watched uh, two uh, home invasion movies that uh, Mm. that both of which John has already talked about. So I'll uh, keep it quick. Yeah, sorry. Um, I watched uh, Inside with uh, Willem Dafoe, which um, when it started, I was just like there's just no way this will be interesting for a hundred minutes. Um, but I didn't realize they were going to shut off the water and, uh, crank up the, uh, crank up the AC and the heat. Um, (laughs) and and honestly, like inside, uh, I think is, is really fascinating for how interesting it stays, uh, while you'll never sort of building or adding to the, the initial premise, like, uh, Willem Dafoe is stuck in this luxury apartment. It is like the least livable luxury apartment that I've ever uh, seen. And uh, like, you know, like he triggers a security system that shuts the whole thing down. Um, And it is hilarious how much of it is shut down. But uh, again, just like never. It's like it's good and Willem Dafoe is great and it never goes anywhere big. And uh I found it to be like pretty, pretty modest, even as um, the ending. I don't, I don't think the ending, I don't think the people that wrote the ending think that that's modest, but that's okay. Um, and I also watched uh, Knock on the Cabin, Knock at the Cabin, Knock on the Cabin, Knock at the Knock Cabin. Knock at the Cabin, yeah. The uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie. Where, um, Is it a knock at the cabin or just knock at the cabin? Uh, just according to Letterboxd, just knock at the cabin. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, four, uh, we'll call them like zealots. Sure. Seem, seem pretty cult, culty, culty zealots. Uh, show up uh, at a uh, at a cabin where a family is vacationing, and um, basically tell them that if one of you does not sacrifice him or herself, um, the world's gonna end. And uh, the way they go about convincing them that this could be true and what they do to themselves um, made for what is probably my favorite in my Shyamalan movie in forever, in a very long time. It's this one is like you're not waiting for a twist. It's not about what is revealed. It is just it is so I guess just fascinating, like. The way, uh, yeah, what they do to themselves, what Dave Bautista and uh, and Rupert Grint and the other two people whose name, Abby Quinn and Nikki Amukbird, Amukabird. She's she's from um, Get Out, right? She was in the, the female. Okay. Was in, was in Get Out. Cool. I know, that's what I know her from. Yeah. It's, um, man, it's just, it is thought, it's thought provoking. I don't know. I found it interesting and uh you know I just I don't 
give much of a shit about um, M. Night Shyamalan's sort of uh, meditations on faith and and rapture and shit like that. But uh, <laughs> this movie was still interesting. Yeah, it's definitely his best film in a very long time. Um, but still, like, you know, you have to temper that, right? It's like still, it's not amazing. <laughs> it's just, no, it's just no, for no. him, it's <laughs> no, good. It's know? not amazing. And like, I, for some reason, I just really did not like Jonathan Groff in this. Um, and, you know, just like on, on a surface level, like it's stupid. <laughs> um and i'm I'm so glad like they don't attempt to explain anything because that would just make it dumber but like thinking about anything that actually happens is just it it's very stupid it's still interesting um okay yeah uh okay well i have two to talk about too you guys talked about two each Mm -hmm. i got two and they're both guy Ritchie movies that he released this year the first is uh the covenant Star or Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, sorry, starring um, Jake G, Jake Gyllenhaal, and a bunch of people you've never heard of, except Johnny Lee Miller is in this as uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's (laughs) superior colonel at the base in Afghanistan. And yeah, this is a movie about um, a soldier in Afghanistan played by Gyllenhaal. He's give his he's like the leader of a platoon. I guess it's a platoon of guys. It's only like six guys, though. I don't know how many people are in a platoon. Anyway, they're they get a new interpreter played by Dar Salim, um, who was in Exodus Gods and Kings, I guess, and a hijacking. I don't I don't know. I've never I've never seen him before, but he's he's okay in this. Um, they get a new a new interpreter played by Dar Salim who um, ends up sort of single handedly saving Jake Gyllenhaal's life in a very heroic and selfless way, and uh, and then Jake Gyllenhaal goes home, of course, you know, because he's American and he feels guilty because his life was saved and this guy is still in a war zone and his wife and kid aren't safe and that sort of thing. So he uh, decides to fly back over and sort of, uh, you know, James Bond it, get the guy out of there <laughs> by himself. <laughs> and uh, but what's weird about this movie is that like that's like I think that's an interesting premise for a film. I think it it might be based on a book actually, but mm. I think it's an interesting idea for a movie. Um, but the way that it's plotted over the course of the film is just feels like uh unbalanced like the because he doesn't actually like he isn't the movie is i think an hour and 40 minutes or just two hours uh yes yeah, two right at two hours he doesn't go back to afghanistan to rescue the guy there i think there's like 40 minutes left when he does that like there's a ton of this movie that's gone by mm. like him him they get into like a big battle at the beginning and then he saves uh, the, the interpreter guy saves him and all that, like him saving him, that takes forever. It's like a really long sequence. And then uh, he gets home. And then by the time he decides to go back, like the movie is more than halfway over. And then mm-hmm. he goes back and there's more firefighting and everything, you know, shooting people. And it's, um, it does, it does borrow 
liberally from the sort of video game aesthetic of, you know, your your first person shooters of the last fifteen or twenty years. Um, there's you know it's just just faceless terrorists who are all wearing masks in the backs of pickup trucks with you know machine guns and uh, Gyllenhaal having to shoot out the back of his his truck to hit those guys and blow up their trucks. <laughs> just plays like a lot of um, a lot of the action sequences are, are similar to. Uh, levels of video games in, mm. in execution and it's not terribly exciting and they're not and they're honestly they're like they don't look as good <laughs> as those video oh. games look <laughs> oftentimes like there's a lot of cg gunfire and cg blood and stuff in this and just as it didn't work for me it's not a terrible movie by any means and i mean i might even say it might be like i mean it's definitely guy Ritchie's like most most accessible movie from the perspective of like you know people who are turned off to his english mob shit that he does and some other stuff Mm. and it's definitely like super conventionally directed like there's nothing interesting about the direction at all but it's very just competent and um you know not horrible but just nothing special at all and gyllenhaal Mm. just I don't know. I don't know what Hall thinks about when he makes a decision to be in a movie. Because this is like, this just seems like the most unchallenging role you could possibly take at this point in his career, you know? Like he's, like he's already ripped up all the time. You know what I mean? Like he's in great shape <laughs> because he's constantly playing like fighters and shit. Oh. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, here he's gonna take this the role as a soldier who you know i mean i don't know what like what is challenging about this as an actor i don't know but Mm. i guess the guilt part of it like he just wanted to play guilt it's not Mm. it's it's i don't know it's for you guys i would highly just you know warn you off it like don't waste your time with this but for my dad Mm. definitely watch this dad right best you know it's again, yeah. another another candidate is the best director of all time. I'm probably gonna see it. Um, so, oh, sorry. So, I also watched uh, Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre, which is uh, Guy Ritchie's movie that came out earlier this year, mm-hmm. starring stalwart Ritchie guy Jason Statham and Aubrey Plaza, who, you know, sure she looks good, but Jesus. Um, and uh <laughs> I just can't handle Aubrey Plaza, dude. She's just so okay. like she's so self-aware of like what the perception of her is as an actress. And she like she plays against that and she thinks she's doing something special. I don't know. Josh Hartnett's also in this, which is kind of fun because you don't see mm. Josh Hartnett a lot. He's and in uh This is not his first Richie movie. Okay. Interesting. He was he in, in that. He was in that other Statham one about. Um, oh man on fire! It's like the no, Wrath of Man. <laughs> yes, thank you, Wrath of Man with the oh, uh, right. like the armor truck. Uh huh. Right, right, right. Well, it's the thing, Jr. I was as I was watching these movies, I realized these are only my third and fourth Guy Ritchie movies I've ever seen. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> Guy Ritchie is looms large as like a filmmaker, but and yet. 
I realize I've only seen Snatch and, and Lockstock. Like, I've never seen any of his other shit. So, mm, that's, and that's probably fine. Yeah. I, it, I'm, after watching these, it's definitely fine. I, I don't think you would love the Sherlock <laughs> movies. I know I wouldn't love the Sherlock movies, but they, I don't know. Anyways, um, yeah. this movie's about, um, I mean, it's just like a sort of Mission Impossible, James Bond knockoff, but more comedic. And Carrie Elways is in it, and that's a lot of fun. I wish he was mm. in. I wish he was like more involved with the actual. Like I wish he was the star, and Jason Statham was the guy sitting in a van talking to him over an earpiece. <laughs> but um, you know, unfortunately, Carrie Elways is an old man now, so they can't give him the the lead role. Um, but yeah, this this movie is uh, you know, not very funny, but it tries really hard to be. It looks really really fucking cheap compared to the Covenant. Like <laughs> the Covenant looks like a film, you know, like it looks like it was had money and you know a, a studio behind it this looks like garbage and uh yeah i don't know wasn't very entertaining kind of boring so two stars well, it's, it's is, uh, the worst <laughs> i mean this guy like you know he was making you know hollywood tent poles for a while and mm-hmm. also taking his time and now he's just like shitting out these uh you know these british crime his british crime comedy caper things but also still doing like hollywood stuff like i just operation ruse de had to be made with so little money and also with so little time i get the it actually feels like and i get the impression and maybe i read this i don't think i did but i get the impression that this is like a covid movie or something that like something happened where this sat on a shelf for a long time possibly Uh, okay Mm. Because that's the way it feels. Like it feels like that, like a movie that just like they made it and it didn't test well, and they made maybe reshot it or didn't have money to reshoot it or just shelved it. I don't know. I I honestly uh, assumed that the uh, I, I assumed that the gentleman was a, a COVID movie. Oh no, never mind. That came out apparently in 2019. The gentleman was a yeah. huge. Hit, I didn't though, see right? that. I mean, like for uh, for I love like, uh, like for him, like that was it's a, a streaming hit. hit for sure. Not a money, mm. at no? least not an American money hit. I don't think. Okay. I, but I, I also I didn't realize that the gentleman came out in 2019. I thought that was I, I thought I saw that in the midst of COVID. Well, you might have. I mean, maybe I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe you did. You know. Um. Yeah. So, anyways, oh. uh, I'm fully out on Guy Ritchie. <laughs> Unless he makes a movie in 2024, and I have to fill out a list. Right. <laughs> So speaking of Jake Gyllenhaal and fighting, have you guys seen any about the uh, Roadhouse remake? Yeah, that's what I meant. Like he's yeah, he did that. He like, showed up to UFC and like yeah, as he a UFC showed up fighter. to like the weigh-ins and he actually like did you know like like yeah, they shot the the fight in you know like during the pay-per-view and yeah, man, he's, um, he's in good yeah. shape for sure. He looks good. Yeah, but you know, they've also like, been showing you know like. Like, um, like I just want to go on record here at least to say like Conor McGregor is a super piece of shit, and I hope he loses every fight he gets in. But uh, Uh-oh. like lately, they've been sh- you know, fuck him. Who gives a shit? <laughs> That's that controversial? Okay. He's not. He's not going to take kindly to that. <laughs> he's an angry <laughs> yeah, man, <he's> Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like he gets hopped up on fucking cocaine and flies across the Atlantic so he can throw a hand truck at a bus with, without <laughs> the person that he's trying to 
trying to get into it with. Is Conor and, McGregor in the Roadhouse remake or something? He is, and okay. uh, like, like one of the things, like this is this is one of the like perils of actually being into MMA at all. Like, I don't re- I I don't watch UFC anymore because fuck Dana White and fuck all the you know the fuck them as a company. Um, Dana, but, yeah. you're safe with Dana White. He only hits his wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, there's there's been all this stuff about, you know, is McGregor coming back? And, you know, it's like he's obviously like fucking he's like juiced out of his eyeballs. Like he's just, you know, got steroids coming out of his ears. And it's like, you know, and then then turns out like he's in this Roadhouse remake for whatever reason. Maybe he's the Ben Gazzara character. They decided to go a different way. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, Kmart's or... coming here because of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but with a Scottish accent. Or is he Scottish or Irish? Irish. Irish accent. Then. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Kevin? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. What else do I have? Uh... Let's see. So I watched um, my brother has a shutter account. So I've been watching uh, the In Search for Darkness documentaries. I'm a little ways into the second one right now. And like it was it's an, like I'm not I would not describe myself as a horror fan. Like most of the stuff that they show is like not something that I'm really interested in. But it's. It was int- the part that was interesting was like how much of that what they were talking about like I knew about even if it was you know like I hadn't seen the movie or you know just kind of heard it on a, the peripheral. So it was like yeah like horror is just one of those things that like culturally it's like hard to like not know about stuff that's mm-hmm. going on in it. Especially if, you know, you're any kind of, you know, film fan or you have any sort of, uh, you know, nerdy tendencies. So, you know, it was interesting in that way. Uh, but, yeah, I s- still don't really have any interest in seeing, like, you know, Basket Case or something like that. Your and brother seems to be watching all of those. Not that I, one specifically, I, but he's watching a lot of, like, yeah, trashy yeah. horror shit. Yeah, and it's like, I think I text texted y'all like, I mean, it's been a long time ago now, but it's like, like there's that scene in uh, Schindler's List where like um, Ray Fiennes is like stumbling all over himself because he's drunk and like Schindler's like, how can you drink that motor oil? I send you good stuff all the time. And like, that's that's what I feel like seeing like. Because, like, the highest rating that he's given any of these things is, like, a three and a half. Yeah, there's something exciting about watching. Like, if, 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 like he's, if he's watching that documentary or documentaries about those kinds of films, you know, you want to watch, like, you want to watch the stuff that they're talking about so you can be in the in the conversation, so to speak, you know? Yeah. That's, like, what well, I, like so when... Far they haven't, sorry, so far, ahead. they haven't talked about Spookies. Which you and I watched, <laughs> and, and he, you know, like he gave it a one one star as both of us did. <laughs> so it's like uh, when Film Junk does like a premium, you know, 
and it's oh, yeah, yeah. like stuff that I haven't seen. Like I tried to, I, you know, sometimes I'll try to watch the stuff, but sometimes it's like a real slog, you know. It's like I don't want to watch this shit, you know. Yeah, for real. It's like you do want to be, you want to, you know, be able to understand what they're talking about and the references and so forth. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So I I also finished watching Beef on Netflix, which uh, if you're it is pretty cringy in a lot of respects, um, but it is, you know, I will give that give it to them for do, trying to do interesting, you know, television mm-hmm. um, and trying to, you know, get a little more into like just, you know, character studies, you know, because I don't think I don't know that you see that a whole lot on Netflix. Um, and like there's even like. The last episode opens up with like there are these crows that are talking to each other and it's like subtitled. And you, like Oh Jesus. <laughs> well I mean yeah, but Go ahead. But, but at the same at the same time yeah, I mean it's like okay, what are we doing? But at the same time it's like yeah, like again, you know, I'll I will give them props for at least trying to do something different that the average Netflix watcher is probably not looking for, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe. Know, you know, cause that's, that's kind of, anymore. that's kind of one of those things where you, you kind of got to like, you know, ease them into, you know, something and then, you know, then take them by surprise or, you sure. know, do something that's like, you know, yeah. I mean, because you, the three of us make movies like, you know, our like it's more than a hobby it's something that's genuinely important to us in our lives my religion yeah like because yeah because we see it that way i think we can cut you know some people a little slack on you know can we though i mean you can i don't know i don't know (laughs) if i do i don't don't know if i can slack you're the uh yeah like i'm let's see what am i i'm like the baptist and you're like the (laughs) You're like the, you know, <laughs> Islamist, <laughs> fundamentalist. I was going to say, like, no, you're, you're like the like ascetics that like uh, like in the beginning of Last Temptation, when he goes out into the desert and there's just sure. all those dudes, you know, hanging out, trying to be religious. You're one I'm of those si- guys. I'm Simon <laughs> of the desert. I'm on top of my fucking style, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're John the Baptist before Salome. No, it's just yeah. like I don't I don't I definitely don't have. A lot of like, uh, like I don't talk about movies like at work and stuff, you know, that much. I mean, every now and then I'll be like, hey, did you guys see the like Mission Impossible? You know, I'll be like, you guys see that Mission Impossible trailer? Oh my god, it looks fucking good, you know. But it's like, because <laughs> I know that you know that's like mainstream shit that they probably they might have seen, even though they never have, because nobody watches trailers, nobody gives a fuck about movies. But um, mm-hmm. it's just like I don't have any like. Like my parents are always asking, like, like you seen, uh, was, see a good movie lately? And it's just like, I don't like. What's the point of even talking to you about this? Like, <laughs> whatever movie I saw that I like, you're not gonna like. You're never gonna watch it. You have no interest. You'll you'll never seek it out. So like, what's the point of telling you this? It means nothing. I have no patience for that. I don't know. It drives me fucking nuts. <laughs> and like my even my brother does it. My brother will ask me about stuff, and I'm just like, sometimes I'm like. I like, 
it almost feels like there's still hope, you know, because he's like he's not he's like three years older than me. And I'm like he might he might you know he might watch. He has a letterbox account. He might watch something that I tell him to watch. And but it's not like I don't know. He's not gonna get like I would never recommend like a Kurostami film or something to him. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think he has that kind of patience. So anyway, sorry, Jr. Well, I was going to go to Blockbuster Town, but uh, hey, to save what? the uh, <laughs> transition, I maybe I should talk about No Bears. Um, okay. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> this guy uh, loves the transitions this week. Oh, man, that's, I mean, that's what we need. Yeah. Like if, I think the sign of a, a great podcaster is the, uh, is the, the mastery of the transition. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there. I think we're going to get there one day. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, We're yeah, still I, I watched uh, No Bears. Uh, this is an Ira- Iranian movie that you guys will never see. Um, you send it to me. I'm going to watch it. Chill I the fuck out. I sent it to you guys, but it's... No, and it's on all, Criterion. Y- yeah, I knew that was going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, it hasn't happened yet, right? They announced it as like for that, that new line of modern movies that they're going to do. But is it is it on sure. the uh, is it on the channel? I don't know. I don't it's got to be on the You don't have Criterion anymore? No. What the fuck? I have Plex. I don't need it. Oh my God. What the waste of money. I'm about to pass out. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's just like money that I'm throwing down the drain every I'm never using it, so what's the point? Uh, okay. So just anyway. Throw it, just throw it down the drain. Just keep doing it. John's mm-hmm. lying. He's never watching this movie because it came out in 2022. Um, and he's done. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely he's a done with that. If it was a if it was a 2023, I would have watched it already. But So I, I think that this is my uh, favorite Jafar uh, Panahi movie that he's ever made. Um, and he was a director that I was like, I was pretty done with. And the reason I have been done with him is, uh, is like really awful. Um, you know, more than a decade ago, he was uh, like in prison for crimes against the, the, Iranian state and then was on house arrest, but was banned from making movies, but also kept making movies. These sort of like uh, documentary movies that are just kind of about him um, and him, like still talking about his situation and the oppressive state that he is living under. Um, but it's just like, I found them to be just deeply uninteresting. They were like uh, incredible that this guy is still finding a way to make movies. And, Apparently, like the first one he did is called "This Is Not a Film." It was like on a hard drive that he smuggled out in a like he put it in like a birthday cake to get it out of the country. Like he's doing like truly subversive stuff, and the movies that he was making, I just thought were like not super interesting. Mm. And I feel I feel bad saying that because uh, I don't know, like his situation just sucks so much. <laughs> Um, and the movies that he made pre uh, imprisonment, like uh, like Offside, which I think came out in two thousand five six region, um, and some other movies are just he's really good. He made good movies. Uh, this movie is uh, like the first one of his that I have seen post house arrest. That is, um, it's like it's it's actually still sort of about him, but he's playing a fictional version of himself, uh, and he is not he is not the focus. He is like the main character, but it's just, it's not about his situation. Um, 
he is he is playing himself who is like directing a movie remotely in Turkey about um it seems to be about people who are trying to illegally cross the border and then it becomes uh, apparent that this is sort of like a documentary fiction hybrid sort of similar to what he has done in the past with like people who made this border crossing into Europe illegally playing themselves um and he decides that instead of just or he's still going to be directing it like through Skype uh or something like that but he is going to or Zoom but he is going to um go to a small town on the like Turkey Iran border so that he can feel closer to the production um and also this is like a small town and it seems like it's setting up so that he like is maybe going to flee Iran um and then just things devolve he is a he is like an urban asshole who does not like respect or give a shit about um this like rural towns cultures and customs and he gets into a bunch of trouble meanwhile there's shit going on with this promote this production that he's remotely directing and there's um a lot of questions about authenticity, a lot of questions about uh, why people would flee a country. And it just, uh, it is so fascinating and it is more fascinating. I'm sorry. I'm talking so long. It is more fascinating because, um, because of this director's like history, like you, if you know what has happened to this man, um, what goes on in this movie is really fascinating. And it just it works so much better when he's not talking directly about himself, but is putting himself into sort of like a a situation that mirrors uh, the plight of many people in Iran. Um, oh, this movie's incredible. I hope you guys watch it at some point. And it is on Criterion. Thank you. Again, that was very long winded. I apologize. That sounds good, man. I lot, lot definitely. Of I plan to check it out. I've actually never yeah, seen any of his, um, like this is not a film and didn't he do, uh, what's it called? Taxi or taxi into the yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. And like, again, I, I taxi and this is not a film or like there are movies I watch and like, I respect what you're doing and I give you a better rating than like, I actually was interested in like i find oh, for taxi sure. to be deeply uninteresting this is not a film <laughs> um was interesting initially when it came out because again it didn't seem like this was something that he'd be able to repeat um but i i highly recommend uh offside um and the mirror they're uh they're good um how many more do you guys have I have uh, homework and the deep dive. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a, a blockbuster duo that I was going to talk about at the same time. Okay, well, listen, I'm going to talk about. I have three left, but I'm just going to talk about one of them because one of them is good and the other two are garbage. But I will say, just a warning to everyone who exists and would watch movies: just skip Air. Okay, it's absolute <laughs> trash. It's Ben Affleck. It's like he's never directed a movie before. It's poorly directed. Like That's such the, a bummer, man. The, the 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 choices of like where the camera is don't make any sense in some of the scenes. It's really bizarre. It's horribly written. It's like 
super derivative writing of like um stylistically of like a you know like uh fucking um the west wing guy wrote social network what's his name <laughs> oh Aaron sorkin. Uh, yeah sorkin it's like the, it's like a guy aping sorkin and a really poor like a like you know like a high school student aping sorkin like who has no idea how to write <laughs> Um, it's really bad. It's, and you know what I realized? It's like, it's got these super cliche moments that are, are in all of these types of films where a character is in a crisis. He's talking to a different character about that crisis. And that other character tells him a story. And inside of that story is the answer to the crisis. And that happens in this movie like seven times. It's insane how often it happens. <laughs> That's gross. I'm trying it to really think is. of a, a movie where there are definitely good movies where that happens, but probably not where that happens seven times. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, I was actually thinking about it, like, because this movie, like, is one of these, you know, uh, brand marketing, you know, the beginnings of a company sort of, move, like, sort of like Social Network in that way. But I was thinking, like, does Social Network ever go to that place where, like, somebody tells a story and i was like that does happen because um justin timberlake tells him the story of victoria's secret in the club but that scene is so interesting because it's so loud and you can barely hear what they're saying and like the story that he's telling him is like it's not a uh uh um what's his face zuckerberg needs to hear that story but it's not because of any specific problem that he's having at that moment, you know, it's not like he went to this guy to to seek out that sort of. I don't know. It's just it just works so much better in something like the Social Network. This movie is fucking terrible, dude. Air is so bad. It's it just absolutely atrocious. Anyways, um, and I also watched Sisu, another 2023, and um, it's you know just again like Air derivative, but mildly enjoyable because of how violent it is, but um, just like a bad Tarantino knockoff. Um, without the dialogue because the main character never speaks. And finally, I watched, uh, I rewatched 187, directed by Kevin Reynolds from 1997. Um, definitely, I was talking to Kevin about this the other day, an outlier mm. in Mr. Reynolds' career, where, you know, this guy is the guy who directed Waterworld and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and The Count of Monte Cristo, and Tristan and He's Old. But he also directed 187, a gritty urban drama about a, uh, you know, a substitute teacher in Los Angeles who uh, runs afoul of the gangs in his school. And uh, <laughs> this movie, I saw this movie a long time ago when I was a teenager. My brother is a huge fan of this um, growing up. Uh, and just remember sort of like, I don't remember my opinion of it. You know, I, I remember watching it and like certain things about it, certain scenes. There's the sort of climactic scene where um, a Russian roulette game of Russian roulette happens. And I remembered all that, but then rewatching it, I'm like totally shocked by how good and engrossing this movie is, how good Samuel L. Jackson is in the lead role, how good the direction is. Like there's, like weird stuff that Reynolds is doing. Um, at one point, 
Samuel Jackson decides he needs to set up a video camera in his classroom so that he has like evidence of what these kids are doing, you know, how they're behaving. And he sets up this uh, VHS black and white camcorder that is just atrocious looking, you know, like they show the, um, the image that it's creating and it's just super like pixely and everything. And then he starts speaking to one of the students and we're still looking at it from that camera and it's sort of this antagonistic discussion between him and the who ends up being like the main villain student. And then all of a sudden, it's over the shoulder shots with that camera, as if that camera is filming the scene now. And I'm just like, who? This is such a like a weird choice, but it totally works in that moment, and it's very like eerie. And there's this threatening attitude between the student and him. And uh, I don't agree with all the places that the plot goes in this movie. Like, I think it's it handles it fairly well, but, like, there's some things that, you know, I wish it wouldn't have gone maybe quite as far as it ends up going. But overall, like, it's just a really very, very, very watchable, very good movie, very good performances. Clifton Collins Jr. is in this, like, one of his first movies. He's fucking great. Um, mm. John Hurd is in this, and he's, like just out of his mind he's <laughs> he's a lot of fun <laughs> and uh yeah i highly recommend 187 in fact if i had known i told kevin he had seen it before so it's not on my list for potential deep dives but if he if he told me he hadn't seen it in like years and years and years and if i had known that i probably would have waited to watch it and put it on a you know made it a made it a deep dive forced jr to watch this thing <laughs> i said it's on my watch list that's cool um, it's uh, te- it's teacher stuff, you know. You gotta watch it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't often like, but um, this is like um, one of those like '90s thrillers that I just was like, you know, the poster, the name. I'm like, this is a, is this like Ashley Judd type shit? Um, <laughs> it sounds like it's not. So Judd, <laughs> what does that even mean? Like yeah, double jeopardy. Like yeah, like double jeopardy, like that. You know, like that that level of like just 90s garbage thriller i guess this movie i will say this movie belongs uh the same poster i don't know it's a great poster the surface level this movie belongs in the sort of dedicated teacher genre of filmmaking you know so dangerous minds and um uh, uh lean on me these kinds of movies but this movie is definitely not like any of those movies at all i'd say it has more to more in common with a movie like the substitute which i get i know you guys haven't seen that either but the substitute with tom berger i talked about before has a lot more to, to do with that film than than uh than any of those other movies but i would say this is actually better than that this is um more trying trying at something more serious um and not always maybe fumbling the ball at certain points but definitely admirable in what it's trying to do and I, mm. I i really appreciate it a lot i think it's great so check out 187 if you have the time and what's her faces in this um ashley judd no karina <laughs> karina Ar- aroyev who was in uh falling down so jr you love falling down <laughs> it's one of my absolute favorites uh, yeah 
<laughs> she was also in Lean on Me. She's apparently like in a bunch of different. Yeah, she's in Dangerous Minds, Lean on Me, and this movie. So she's like a oh, bad shit. student in all these movies. Shit. <laughs> I just saw Kelly Rowland, and I was like, Desi's mm-hmm. Child, not Kelly Rowland. Okay. <laughs> Kelly Rowland, who played uh, who played um, she's in Hook. She's the kid's mom in Hook. She's uh, wow. Peter Pan, Peter Panning's wife. Never would have got there. Okay. Yeah, classic. Anyway, that's it for me. I I don't have the homework, Kevin, because I yeah. can't believe it. Started watching it today. Got <laughs> about twenty five minutes in. Couldn't handle it. No, I just didn't have time. I had to go take my kid to gymnastics, and then I had to go to visit my uh, dad. Just didn't have any time, man. Uh, yeah. If I had time, I would have watched yeah. it. There's no way, dude. You're too tall. Your kid's going to be too tall for gymnastics. It's, it's, what? It's, it's, it's over. It's over. It's over. I don't know. Gymnastics have, have mostly, cons- <laughs> it mostly consists of kids just like running around and jumping and doing flips and stuff. So it's not really, yeah. uh, there's no discipline yeah. yet. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So, uh, JR, do you want to do your two last ones? Yeah. And then Kevin can uh, tell us about coffee. I I had a quick hook question because I don't think okay. we've ever talked about it. Uh, are you guys going to watch the uh, like Peter Pan movie directed by David Lowry that's on Disney Plus? Ooh. No. Um, David Lowry is good. Is it? What, is it from what's this going year? on here? Yeah, came yeah, out watch, uh, yeah, in April. I'll definitely watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't. And David Lowry is like responsible for the only decent Green Knight. Like, like no, yes, yes. David Lowry's <laughs> good, but like. David Lowry is good enough that he's done the only good like Disney remake, the uh, Peach Dragon. I don't think remake. I, I feel good. like that's a that's a uh, hot take. I don't feel like people would agree with you on that. That Peach Dragon is good. That Peach Dragon is the only good wow. <laughs> Disney remake. I mean, I think a lot of people love the Lion King. No, Lion King sucked. Well, I'm uh, saying, I, I'm saying I liked it. I'm saying a lot. I actually of, think yeah, the uh, the Kenneth Branagh Cinderella is like almost good. Oh really? Um, Mm. I think that's the only other one that's like not bad. I think all the other ones are are bad. Yeah, Jude Law's hook in this. Yeah, man, I'll watch this. I forget well, about. Well, I've not I've not heard good things, but I I'm sure I it's terrible. Watch it I mean, honestly, the Peter Pan like they can't make a good Peter Pan movie to save their lives. Too. How many how many times have they remade Peter Pan in the last twenty years? Like huge adaptations um, too. Yeah. Like, like what's his face did one? Uh, the guy who did Anna Karenina, right? Um, yeah, that was called Pan. Right. There's that the one that came out in like 2001 or two or three. That mm-hmm. was not good. Um, the guy who did Beasts of the Southern Wild did right. uh, called Wendy recently, which is not huge. That was a tiny Indian movie. That but was uh, still, fascinating, but also still not very good. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, this should be like untouchable property shit. I don't know why we're still trying. It's just strange how they can't, because I mean, even Hook is not Hook wasn't a hit, was it? Didn't it, like bomb. No. Um, no. Hook. It, so Hook is just like it, one it of those probably, nostalgia pieces of shit. God damn it! That makes me hate it even million. Okay, well that sounds like it was okay. Yeah, made three hundred million probably, on a seventy budget. Uh, that I might mean, be like you know, low for what they expected, though. That's Isn't not that? a bomb. <laughs> mixed, mixed reviews from critics. I guess the critics didn't love it. Well, I, I think it's like it, it's you know quote unquote bombing for you know Spielberg you know because it's and like Disney. you know yeah 
But uh, like three, I, it's been a long time since I've watched it, but I remember thinking Hook was great. I loved Hook when I was a kid. I mean, I loved it a lot. Yeah. It was a big, big part of my childhood. Yeah, I mean, I haven't tried to watch it recently because, like, even the last time I watched it, it's like just you know, just too like, it's just too sad. Like, you know. Yeah, when Rufio gets killed, super sad, dude. Well, that and like you know, like me out. yeah, but also you know, like like when he's talking to uh, that one kid, you know, it's like you know, you got to find your happy thought. And like, what's your happy thought? It's like my mother, oh, and it's yeah. like this, like this poor like fucking thirteen year old kid's never gonna see his mom again. His mom's like, already like an old like, lady. Just, it was probably. the fourth highest grossing film of the year. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it did fucking fine. Jared's losing it. You guys need to chill was, out. But it, was poor, but it was poorly received compared to other Spielberg films around the yeah, time. Yeah, but also because it sucked. Like, that's what happens when you make what? a second movie. Hook does not suck, dude. I hate Hook. Hook is like... How could Hook you is like the Hook? garbage shit that was like... Sorry, not garbage <laughs> shit. There was so much other garbage shit. But like Hook was just like on television around me all the time. And I was just like constantly... This is like the most fucking boring movie. Why is it so goddamn long? See, now, see, Kevin, if one of us forces Jared to watch this on a deep dive, he'll come around and he'll be like, you know what? Honestly, it's not nearly as bad as I said it was. I, I obviously, I had never really watched it and gave it the time that it deserved. It's not great, but you know what? There are some things to admire about it. And I like Robin Williams' you're, performance and blah, blah, blah. You you're, probably, you're probably <laughs> fucking right. Yeah. It's and right. I will yeah. resent you for making me say those things. <laughs> Not that it's not on my list of deep dives, so don't you don't have to worry about it for me. Yeah, it's not on mine either. But, okay. Know. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Speaking of uh, blockbusters that aren't as good as Hook, um, <laughs> it's not there yet. I don't have. I, don't, I haven't mastered it yet. Um, I watched Ant Man and the Wasp: uh, Quantum Mania. Uh, this was like. Honestly, like when this came out in February, I kind of was like, you know what? I'm not gonna see it. I'm not gonna see it. I'm not gonna watch it. I don't need to watch this movie. Yeah, uh, right. And then it was fucking Friday night, uh, and Sarah was on a bachelorette trip, and I was just like, I don't know what to do with myself right now. Um, so I turned on Disney Plus, and there was Ant Man just staring at me. Um. <laughs> Oh no, sorry. Sarah wasn't out of town. It was the week it was last weekend and her her father was here and he's like in our basement like taking up this whole area and so I was like I'm very limited in what I could watch upstairs. Uh and I don't want to pay attention to anything so I just turned on Ant-Man. And again, whatever whatever the reason I turned it on was not good enough to justify turning on Ant-Man. Um Ant-Man um it was just like it was as bad as like everyone said. It is just it's a CGI disaster. Um, you know, the first two Ant Man films, while like I'm not gonna pretend that they're like these amazing movies or anything, but like within the Marvel, uh, like the MCU, they're very um, they're very small. They're very like like local. People aren't trying to like destroy, blow up the Earth necessarily. Um, <laughs> And and like they're they're very 
stakes are low and also just like they take place in our world and like besides the ant-man effects there's not like a they're not cgi heavy um so so like just sending ant-man into the quantum realm for the entire fucking movie and making it so that it's two hours against a, a blue screen with a bunch of animated characters was just a a weird idea especially since like for the past like four years, Marvel can't make any of their movies look good, uh, like CGI wise at least. That's been a whole a whole saga. Someone's been fired over it. Um, and uh, and then of course the stuff that does happen in the quantum realm uh, with Ant Man and his daughter and his you know his sort of found family is uh, just really uh, it's just really stupid. Um, it's called Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh, the Wasp just disappears and doesn't do jack shit. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer was pulled out of the quantum realm in the last Ant-Man movie. So she's supposed to like be our expert on the uh, quantum realm. But she also is uh, just an idiot down there. Uh, doesn't know what she's doing. Uh, Ant-Man, um, I think the first two Ant-Man movies have like the best comedy in the MCU because Paul Rudd, because Michael Pena, uh, Michael Pena is not in this movie and, uh, and the comedy in this movie is like, it's the fucking worst. It's just the worst. Bill Murray sucks. They bring back Corey Stoll as Modoc, who's a very stupid Marvel character. Who's a joke. And the joke of, of him being Modoc is really bad. We spent a lot of fucking time with him. Um, there, I, I did laugh one time in this movie. It's at the beginning with uh, William Jackson Harper, who's in The Good Place. Um, I feel bad for William Jackson Harper. Why is he in this movie for three lines? But he does play a telepath who gets to walk into a room and announce that someone has seven holes in their body, and that joke worked. Um, that's the best I can say for this movie. What? Uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. How is Jonathan Majors? Um, okay, so he's interesting. Um, he's fine. I, I think the the setup for him as a villain is done uh, kind of in Loki explaining who he is, like the, the Loki uh, series, like a, a mini series. Right. I guess not, not a mini series, but uh, well, season two is coming. Was, yeah, yeah. So sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was really good sort of just delivering a monologue at the end of uh, of that series. I really enjoyed it. In this, he, again, has, like, very little to do. He's, like, he's spoken of as this sort of intimidating figure for an hour of this movie. And then uh, Michelle Pfeiffer gives us uh, a backstory, you know, just because this is one of those movies that just has a ton of exposition for because it's the only way, way they know how to tell a story. Um, and it's 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 whatever. Uh, this is meant to be like a very like a kind of weaker version of of this uh, this character Kang, and he's not too difficult to defeat. But uh, I don't know. He doesn't get to do to do a ton. I I was deeply uninterested in the uh, in the Jonathan Majors performance. Mm-hmm. But and uh, and maybe maybe that was because I knew this is likely the last time I'll see Jonathan Majors or. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he'll be in the Loki second season. Are they editing him out of that? I don't know. Did you see that 
the um the news articles I've been reading the last week or so were talking about like uh these insiders were saying that they they were rewriting like the entire next phase of Marvel based on his how good his performance was in Ant-Man. Like they were so impressed by him that they were like gonna they were they are they did they like changed everything to like include more of him well but I, I, mean, I mean and they don't say anything about how like if that's not happening or not yet i guess they haven't made an official like uh declaration the, about his firing or one anything. of the deals mm. one of the deals with this character is that he is a shapeshifter like he can look like anything sure uh, i think you can have the character and not have him be tied to jonathan majors i think it is a bummer to have like invested uh, a couple of your properties into Jonathan Majors and that have to change it. Uh, mm-hmm. And also a bummer that apparently Jonathan Majors is uh, like not an awesome uh, guy. Uh, right. Him, him being dropped by his like management is I I think really bad. Like that's nailing the coffin in, in these, territory well, for sure. It, yeah. He's, in these mm. cases, like that doesn't usually happen. There's a lot of like, we weather the storm and like, this isn't the end type stuff mm-hmm. for for management to drop him like before there's even like another formal complaint um another like yeah i don't know that's that's just bad uh it makes it feel like uh management got wind of some things that uh that we'll all get wind of mm-hmm. eventually anyway um yeah, I mean, the, like one of the Avengers movies that has like been mapped out, like has Kang in the title. Like the Avengers are supposed right. to fight Kang. So, whatever, bad movie, piece of shit. Um, I contrast <laughs> this with Dungeons and Dragons. I will spend less time on this. I will say that uh, Dungeons and Dragons does the, um, the sort of like post irony. Um, action blockbuster thing uh just much more successfully than marvel's been doing for a while uh and i think it helps that chris pine is the only sort of comedic element in the movie and everyone else is i want to say like a straight man but like they are much more serious characters um it's uh i don't know i had a lot of fun watching dungeons and dragons it's there's also like silly yeah there's also in dungeons and dragons there's like there are interesting set pieces which you know it's like something that's missing from like a lot of these like um a lot of these 2023 blockbuster movies like there's just no like even like the um you know not to dump more on john wick but it's like the the set pieces in john wick like the action is like it's repetitive and it's stuff you've seen in the last two films uh with the exception of like one specific set piece which is just filmed in a sort of interesting way but no, that was my least favorite one. Yeah, I didn't like it either. Um, it's but it's like video game shit. Exactly. <laughs> I actually have the game that that's based on, Hong Kong Massacre, which is uh, incredibly difficult to play. Like, I, it's, I find it very hard to like maneuver your character around and jump around in slow mo and shit. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's just like at least uh, uh, it reminded me of. Um, Dungeons and Dragons reminded me sort of of, of Valerian in that way. Like it has this, these cool sort of setups for different action sequences. Like the the thing with the the jelly that they have to like jump into in order to get out of that maze at the end. Yeah. 
Like that's cool, you know. That's a cool idea. I don't know. Well, you know, yeah, more stuff. It's like the same, but it's like the same shit. Like there's a MacGuffin, and we're and like we're we're creating a family as we go, and it's like Mm -hmm. all that kind of predictable crap. But um, enough of of it is feels uh, either funny or slightly original or just like a little bit more sincere, even though like this is an action movie that is playing as a comedy. It still like has moments that I, I feel like the sincerity of it works. The earnestness yeah. of it works. Sure. Um, even with like, you know, like they paid Hugh Grant to just like show up and like phone in like a basic, you know, bitchy villain thing that I feel <laughs> like he can do in his sleep, but like, it's still, it still works enough. Uh, and you know, I'm pretty sure, like no one's out there like Michelle Rodriguez is a good actor or anything, but like this is like a good use of Michelle <laughs> Rodriguez, um, who just gets to play like a tough and not do anything too stupid and have, you know, just a few lines where she gets to, um, to do a little bit of emoting and yeah, it works. I uh, they, um, I thought um, sorry, go ahead. Re- Reggie Jean uh, Page was gonna be like the you know like one of the main characters in this movie. And uh, I'm so glad he wasn't, and I'm so happy with how they used him uh, as a very um, annoying person. Hugh Grant essentially plays the exact same character in Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. So. That makes sense. I mean, that's what he's been he's been doing that with Guy Ritchie for a couple of movies, right? I, I wouldn't know. Yeah, you're, sorry. You're it's right. In, I apologize. Yeah, definitely in The Gentleman. Yes. In, there you go. I think he's in... Uh, yeah, I didn't see the man from Uncle, but I'm guessing that's what he was doing there as well. I don't remember. All right, well, uh, Kevin, you want to talk to us about Tristram Shandy? Try not to yeah, spoil so... it too hard because I'm gonna finish it at some point. Okay. Oh, and uh, so... and Kevin, I also watched um, roughly 18 minutes today and then stopped uh, <laughs> because I also wow. ran out of time. Uh, I was not assigned okay. to this as homework, but. Um, mm. Good for you, man. Uh, the 18 minutes I watched <laughs> reminded me that I'm pretty sure I love this movie. Um, oh, okay. But continue. Yeah. Okay. So I watched Tristram Shandy, A Cock and Bull Story, which stars Steve Coogan as himself. And he's also playing the title role of Tristram Shandy, which is a comic novel that's apparently famous in England. I had heard about this because somebody in one of my grad classes did like we had to do a uh, website for a certain thing and she did it on this one on the novel. So it follows them. It follows Steve Coogan, Rob Brydon, and, you know, just about just about anyone you want to name from the British film scene around that time. Um, they're trying to make the movie. They're trying to sort out, um, story elements, plot elements. And, um, Steve Coogan is very much, you know, like he's trying to break away from Alan Partridge, which, you know, like, I don't know, unless, unless you're into like British TV, I don't think you'll necessarily know who Alan Partridge is, but, um, yeah, so 
I enjoyed the movie for the most part. Um, like, it very much reminded me of, like... Um, so, Michael Winterbottom has done a number of... Uh, well, their TV series, but then they're edited down into feature length... Into features. Uh, the trip, the trip to Italy, the trip to Greece, the trip to Spain. And it's basically Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon making fun of each other and do you know doing stuff throughout Europe. And, and, and movies so which are all exactly the same precursor. but are so enjoyable. I think. Yes. They're very funny. It's been a million years since I've seen either of any of them. So um Yeah, I would like to watch like the actual series cuz I think like like yeah, watching this movie, it was I felt like the same thing. It's like, okay, there's like it seems like there should be like story elements here and there and like it would be interesting if we could follow it, you know, through a few more like, you know, episodes or that kind of thing. Um I enjoyed the movie. Um I didn't think it was super hilarious or whatever, but it's, you know, it wasn't a total waste of time, and I always enjoy like Rob Brydon making fun of Steve Coogan, and Steve Coogan's always having to play the straight man, and I think he's decent at it. So, yeah, it just kind of makes me want to watch the Trip films again. <laughs> I know this. Um... One of the reasons I really enjoyed this movie when I saw it um, has to do with like its its nature as an adaptation um, to a novel that I have not read and I will probably never read, even though it's sitting ten feet away from me um, <laughs> and has been for uh, basically since this movie came out in two thousand six or since I saw it in two thousand six. Um, <laughs> having read about the movie and also having sorry having read about the book and they explain like a some of what's going on in the book in the movie as they're trying to figure out how to adapt it um i i just am so fascinated by what this is like as an exercise in adaptation and uh, the way that they sort of adapt the spirit of a novel uh by turning it into something completely different um and just like the the meta postmodern aspect of it, uh, again, I just find it very fascinating. And um, at least from the beginning of the movie, I was still enjoying the the comedy of it. And uh, I am going to be watching this one, uh, hopefully tomorrow, maybe Monday, on the uh, the holiday to uh, to make sure that it still holds up. So uh, I don't know those first twenty minutes. Still liked them. It's um cool. interesting the parallel of something that happens in the first twenty minutes of this movie and something that also occurs in Cross of Iron or Deep Dive. Might be a good segue also. Oh you you don't know. Oh you don't know? What Kevin? You know what I'm talking about? This? What the fuck? Uh, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to spoil a cock 
and both or oh okay but, yeah sorry um, god, god damn it someone's penis is gotta... smashing a window uh, <laughs> and then cross the wire and a man's penis is bitten off during a forced blowjob mm. so, yeah you know definitely different um different tones to those scenes but <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I was going for comedy. <laughs> yeah. I um since I'm all out of Yugoslavian uh, grain alcohol, all I have is this beer. Um and you know, just to get myself prepared for this conversation, I had to go just like rail some fucking coke real quick. Um, <laughs> just really get into that peck and paw headspace. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, I just ate a Hershey kiss. Um, I mean, like, um, like white chocolate cream fill, like the twist, nah, like what? Old, old fashioned, regular. Right. It's just what? what my kid had in her uh, bag from Christmas, still. So, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's talk about our deep dive. This is JR's pick. It's a movie called Cross of Iron. From 1977, um, by the late great legendary Sam Peckinpah, is this his last film? No. No. Uh, he did Convoy in the 80s. What a... The Osterman Weekend, also in the 80s. No, Convoy is the year after the 78. Oh no, shit. Sorry, mm. Convoy. Did Convoy usher in the 80s? Feels like an 80s movie. I don't know. Oh, I've never seen Convoy. That's the movie that has the song Convoy in it. So we got a big, big Convoy. I don't know, but it means Chris Christopherson's like the the trucker. Yeah. Mm. Um. Yeah. It looks like this is his second to last movie, if I'm seeing this right. Uh, third, because oh. there's Convoy and the Osterman Weekend. Oh right. Uh, I mean, sorry, sorry. Yes, Convoy is after, still not in the '80s. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, anyways, his third to last film, um, Cross of Iron, starring James Coburn, Maximilian Schell. And James Mason and David Warner, and lots of German actors from Fassbender's stable of actors. And um, <laughs> yeah, this is uh, a movie JR pick. JR, why? Why this movie? Why now? Um, fan of Peckinpah. Um, I have a, uh, a weird relationship with war movies, which made me want to revisit Peckinpah's only war movie, which is a movie I had loved uh, previously. And um, this is, you know, in in the in what should be predictable if you've seen any you know Peck and Boss stuff like the Wild Bunch. This is a very uh, sort of nihilistic and and dark uh, depiction of of war, and it is you know pretty uncommon for the time. I think at least based on what I've seen, this is about a platoon of German soldiers. Um, in Russia who are uh, are dealing with their army's retreat and not super common to have uh, a group of Russians as your protagonists. The only other one I can think of right now, and I'm sure there are many more, is uh, All Quiet on the Western Front sorry, from 1930. We, sorry. A, sorry. A group of Germans. Sorry, a group of Germans. Okay. I see Russians. Woo! Okay. Sorry. Well, but, well, yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry. All that coke. Yeah, yeah. That actually gives me an end to talk about 
a specific note that I have, but you can continue. I'll I'll come back to it. <laughs> well, no, I mean that that's it. I mean, like th- there are you know plot machinations, but like this is this is the story of um of James Co- James Coburn's um yeah was he corporal? Was he just called platoon leader? Uh, Steiner. Steiner. Like, what is his um, what is his office because he hates all officers i don't think he is captain he's Strange an enlisted Steel. man let's see corporal steiner it says corporal steiner he's corporal okay um, courageous corporal steiner and you know he's like this um <clears throat> he is a figure of some notoriety on the russian front as uh he has a habit of uh seems to be disobeying orders and getting results um one of my favorite lines uh james mason who is like sort of like the the head figure of uh of this area of the front um when steiner is coming back from uh from this mission that we see in the uh in the opening sequences he's like on the phone is like i want a briefing as soon as they're arrested um mm-hmm. just you know tells us uh he did something he was not supposed to do and also it was good for the uh for the germans um and you know maximilian shell shows up who is this uh we'll call him like a career officer in it for the uh the glory still thinks that the uh the germans have a chance as every single person around him is telling him we are retreating this is done we are fucked um and is obsessed with being awarded the iron cross which is the uh where the name of the movie comes from something that steiner has um in the which he covets deeply and uh he's just a a cartoonish asshole in this uh in this movie so uh what'd you guys think we got the peck and paw war movie we got uh we got james coburn being a manly man maximum shelby dick james mason existing not to correct you jr Please do. This is not Peckinpah's only war film. Are you going to call Major Nundee a war film? Are you well, doing that to me right now? During the Civil War. <laughs> and I quote, During the last winter of the Civil War, Cavalry Officer Amos Dundee leads a contentious troop of Army regulars. Sounds like a war movie to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's on horses and that doesn't count. <laughs> what? What <laughs> kind of a rule is that? Uh, one that I just made up to hey, Warren, uh, protect Warren to protect Oates myself from shame. Dundee. I've never even seen, I've never seen Major Dundee. Warren Oates is in it. I might have to watch it. Major Dundee's whatever. <laughs> um, uh, sorry. So I'll just say real right off the bat, um, that the what you the mistake you made at the beginning of your synopsis calling them Russians. I was very confused for the first maybe <laughs> 10 minutes oh. about where, what they were. <laughs> Dude, so, okay. Can, can I read you my note? Can I interrupt you? Yeah, can I no, be go rude? Ahead. Yeah, can I continue to be rude and Please. long-winded? Okay. Please. Um, my note says, uh, I'd forgotten their German soldiers, even though we just spent five minutes with the German newsreel footage. And, <laughs> and like, if I had been paying more attention, like, they've got the Lugers and... I mean, I, I but, do think that but uh, he's, I, car- he's carrying a Russian machine gun, yeah, and he, there are members of his platoon who are wearing Russian communist red stars on their hats, which we figure out is like a 
you know, I mean, they're they're trying to be sneaky. Uh, sure, in but that, it's just in confusing that way. at the beginning of the film because you don't know what the fuck's yes. going on. You know? uh, <laughs> yeah, it, that was weird because I mean, honestly, like I'm watching it and I'm, you know, I'm not like a again not a war guy, not a weapons guy. I'm never gonna like see like World War II attire and be like, oh, that's a German helmet. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, if you put it in the right context, I will recognize it as such. Sure. So I'm just like, these are Americans. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, James Coburn. Of course, they're yeah. American. Though <laughs> everybody else in his crew is played by a German, right? So it's... yes, but yeah, you know, yeah. but there's there's no uh, there's no speaking for a while. That whole uh, right entire uh, initial sequence. Uh, limited dialogue, limited sound, which is uh, which I thought was really cool. Uh, there's a lot of uh, sound fading in and out as they sneak up to that Russian camp, um, and they're sneaking up to a Russian camp. They were speaking Russian, um, right? Which was again kind of like, why are the Americans attacking the Russians? Uh, anyway, yeah, sorry, I, I was with you there. Um, well, I um. I like this movie. Um, maybe not to the level that JR had liked it prior to this watch. I don't know how I felt about it this watch, but um but yeah, I I, I loved I actually really liked the stock footage. I like the way it opens, I like the opening credits, I like the weird like child German song that they play, <laughs> and the way that it sort of uh, loops back at the end is uh equally um and I, I thought that that at the beginning, like the ch- the children's song is like interrupted by like a a bombastic military march, like it'll oh right it cuts in and yeah. out. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed that. Um, I did. Uh, I it's weird that like for looking at it as a Peck and Paw film, and I'm again this he's sort of like um, well not as bad as Guy Ritchie. I've seen. I had seen five of his films before this movie, but um, to get out of the, context, that's such an awful sentence. I I hate that sentence. I know. Some and not as bad as Guy Ritchie. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen most of the films that I have seen by him. I've seen more than once, also. But um, it's just weird because like I think of him as a very uh, like what I know him for because the first thing I ever saw by him was The Wild Bunch. And I saw it on TV with Jonathan. Jonathan was spending that at my house. We were teenagers, and that movie was on TV. And it was the end, the, the final scene with all the slow motion squibs. And we were just blown away, and we thought it was fucking amazing. And um, and then you know you watch like Straw Dogs and The Getaway, and it's similar things. You know, I mean, Straw Dogs is obviously way more like you know thriller territory, but there's still a lot of that sort of that that sort of violence in there that very, very graphic. And I was watching Crossfire and I've seen scenes from this on YouTube before that just pop up randomly, um, in other videos that I'm watching. Uh, and I, I, I expected this to be way more graphic than it actually ends up being. And I'm thinking that the reason it's not is because like you, if you read about it, like they, the, the, they're over budget. They ran out of money towards the end of the film. And I remember uh, watching a, a making a featurette for Wild Bunch where they talked about how they had to, like they they you know they'd have like a Mexican army guy 
and he'd get his chest blown out, you know, with squibs. And then they'd have to take his uniform off and paint over the blood, paint the uniform, and then put it on another guy and shoot again because that's, you know, that's how they did it. And I was like, they maybe they couldn't do this a similar thing with these uniforms for whatever reason. You know, they're historical or something. I don't know. But um, so I was thinking, like, maybe they're, that's why they're not using as many squibs. Because, but, when there, but when there are squibs... Look out, Jack. It is good stuff. It is classic <laughs> peck and paw, super slow-mo, just waves of blood coming out of those bullet holes. I love it. <laughs> Did you – there's also multiple, um, uh, like, guts entrails being released. Yes. Like, on uh, on barbed wire fences and, mm. and Well, there's also – yeah, and there's also, like, he does these weird things where he – it'll just be like non sequitur stuff. Like it'll just all of a sudden it'll cut to like a dead body in a field or, or like, or like, um, specifically they have that body with the tank treads going over it in the mud. Yeah. Which and I it, liked. I oh, liked it's that. amazing. It's great. But it's just like, it's so it's, it's just like an interstitial that connects two scenes. Like it has nothing to do with anything. It's just like war is hell almost, you know, just like a quick, uh, quick stinger in there to remind you. How bad it is. <laughs> it's good This movie didn't need a ton of those reminders since I agree. every every scene is built around that idea. That's the other one. They, they, there was a guy laying face down in like a puddle and blood just like pouring out of his neck into yeah. the water. <laughs> like that was like and it's just like, who is that guy? Whatever, it's just a dead soldier. Like that's the point, right? It's like I don't know. I, yeah, I it's, I like I like that. I I don't know. I like I don't mind that there wasn't as much squib use, but um, I was definitely expecting there to be a lot more, especially considering how many people are shot in this movie. I mean, you were sold a bill of goods, and uh, I mean, based on YouTube videos. Yeah, exactly. Well, based on you know the YouTube the YouTube clip that you see is Coburn executing the officer at the end, which is like oh. where all the squibs are. Yeah, <laughs> like okay, so. Well, there are. Um, Which is great. When his, when, his, when that officer is uh, executing his platoon, there are some squibs as well. Sure, but they're not. Yeah, I mean there are. There are a couple here and there, but it's like, I don't know. It's just it feels like in Wild Bunch, everybody who's shot there is a squib. Like you don't ever see a guy just dying without a squib. There's every one of them has one. Right. Um, maybe he'd grown up a little bit since then. I don't know. Or maybe he's uh, drunk to remember to put squibs on everybody. Yeah. I mean, it it, it doesn't sound like Peck and Paul was like super present for uh, the making of this movie. Honestly, I read that he, he drank something like two whole bottles of whiskey a day or something like that. Well, according to one so, of the and again, it wasn't the whiskey; it was that Yugoslavian oh. uh, 190 proof grain alcohol. <laughs> what? No, 180 proof. So it's like 90 percent alcohol. Jesus uh, God. Which. It said that he would go on these multi-day binges, and they would have to take off multiple days for him to recover and like get his brain back. That's crazy. Um, wow, it's really fucked. And like all the coke came in the uh, editing room. Uh, he was uh, trying to figure out how to put this shit together since he uh, didn't know what he did. He was in a stupor and, while uh, he was filming it, so he had to just add it added cocaine yeah added cocaine <laughs> to the drinking to figure this shit out uh, yeah, yeah you know it was like he only had like five it was like he he edited this in five weeks it's like that's not a long time <laughs> yeah. it's just like it's like real film that's yeah 
That's pretty quick. He's working 25 hours a day. Yeah. Um, all right, Kevin, where are you at on this movie? So my first, the first thing I thought of when I was watching this movie, it was like, oh, so Sam Peckinpah obviously saw Monty Python and the Holy Grail and Jabberwocky and was like, you know what my movies need? A shit ton of fucking smoke for no reason. Like honestly, like look look at the first like I don't know half of that movie. Like there is so much smoke in every scene. It's just like Jabberwocky and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You know, like, like it was a like it was a joke. You know, like like they're you know like doing scenes and you know like they're getting like good laughs from the um from the rest of the crew and Gilliam cuts like. Not enough smoke, so they got to do a take again, and like they're you know Cleese and Idle are like, what the f- what? I don't yeah, know. Like, I, I, mean, I believe I believe you. There was that much smoke and cross of iron, but I I am not. That's not something I noticed. Kevin, I have never been more convinced that you just said something that no one has ever said before. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which uh, which is incredible. Would, <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't mean that facetiously. Be sure to tip your waitress. I'll be here all week. No, no, like that is that is something that never would have crossed my mind ever, and I'm quite certain has never crossed anyone else's mind. I mean, a lot of smoke, yes, but connecting it to that specific place, no. That's uh, that's well, I mean, you know, because like, you, you watched know, we're, the behind we're talking the like stuff. 70, 74, 76. Yeah, watch behind the scenes stuff. But I mean, right. it's obvious. Like when you watch the movies, you'll be like, "Oh, there's there's a lot of smoke in these movies," <laughs> um, you know. But uh, yeah, like um, yeah, I'll just I'll just go ahead and you know, like Peckinpah is just one of those directors that I'm destined to not like his stuff. Like fuck, fuck. I did I didn't I didn't like the opening with the jangly sounding you know children's music and the stock footage and it you know didn't for me it just didn't get any better. Like oh, I don't I don't about, know, like you, you have to you have to like though or appreciate at least like Coburn's performance in this. I was pretty I was pretty taken by his performance. Like he's cuz he's an actor who I feel like I see him in a lot of stuff that's like almost like verging on comedic sometimes and like this is like him being super serious and he's he, I don't know, he really pulls it off in my opinion. I thought he I just thought like some of his scenes where he's got this all this vitriol for the the Germany as a nation and the the officers and everything when he tells the officers that he hates them and he, like when he tells James Mason he's like you think I don't hate you just because you're like you know a less bad officer than the other guy like I I don't know all that stuff really worked for me you didn't like their performances I believe God is a sadist I just <laughs> even know it uh, and I I mean honestly like Coburn I think pulls off the German accent too. Uh, most, I, yeah, I was going to talk most, about the accents, but yeah, oh, yeah, uh, I mean, for sure. I I don't know. From like you know, for me, it just didn't do a whole lot, and not to mention the fact that it's like, like okay, like I get it. It's one of his his trademarks, but every fucking movie with the goddamn slow mo. 
<laughs> it's in every mo- it's in the fucking wild bunch it's in cross of iron it's bring me the head of alfredo garcia's and, you know hell yeah it's it's everything it's so like, i dude it's like you use it the same way like at least like you know make it count for something Kev, some kevin point, I, you know? i'm with you like in the in the opening scene where they're sneaking up on the russians uh there was like a couple of of slow-mo shots where i was like we need a slow-mo for that one for that shot like <laughs> yeah like Again, it's, it's a coca- it's a cocaine crutch you know probably or you know like or you know whatever whatever alcohol he was you know out of his mind you think, on you think yeah, it is, I mean, it's possible he's just he was like in the editing room and he's like i've got to make this thing two hours and 15 minutes or whatever so <laughs> let me let me yeah. i promise i promise 125 minutes yeah yeah i mean i mean if, if yeah i mean so I mean, it would be I, quite a bit shorter if it didn't have so yeah. much, so much slow mo. And it's just, I feel like, <sighs> I I know you know I know y'all will you know feel differently and you know and attack you yeah. perfectly. Hmm? Is it and it's and attack you? Probably. Oh, okay. I feel like Peck and Paw is a one trick pony. He does slow-mo and he does violence and he does, you know, like sort of, you know, your, yeah, sort of nihilistic stuff and, you know, hard, sort of hard boiled, you know, whatever. But it's like, I mean, it's fine, you know, like, you know, people like, you know, like, you know, you look at like the Ramones, you know, if you've heard one Ramones album, you've pretty much heard them all. And if that's your thing, then by all means, you know, go and go and do that. But like, I would hope that, you know, over the span of, you know, like whatever, you know, 10, 15 years, like he would have progressed as a filmmaker and like wanted to see something different on the screen. And Um, I, I don't know if this is I don't know if this is necessarily a fault of, you know, him per se, but the DVD that I watched looked like shit. Like it looked like, like it looked like fucking bad VHS. Well, this movie has never had a good, um, a good transfer. I mm. uh, like the the rental I had on Amazon was SD, and uh, apparently Blu-ray put on 2011, but that also doesn't seem to look good. Most uh, available versions of this movie for a very long time were just a uh, pan and scan. Um, mm. Uh, I don't want to call that Peck and Boss fault. I want to call that uh, this was a failure in America fault. And um, Europe, uh, for a very long time, was really independent scan. Uh, and Europe is where this movie was successful. But um, mm. but yeah, I, I would love to see a version of this movie that doesn't look like absolute shit. Because that's all I've seen. The one I watched on Plex looked okay. God damn it! Oh, you, well, okay. you probably saw the Blu-ray. Yeah, it's probably um, the Blu-ray copy. But I mean, I, I'm pretty like sure that. that I'm pretty sure that the version I watched on Amazon is not the Blu-ray copy because again, yeah. SD and just does not look good. Yeah. At um, least it's not yeah. pan and scan. As far as the accents go, though, I was I thought it was a, a I like the choice to have them doing accents, like as opposed to just having. I mean, obviously, they're, they're most a lot of our German actors, so it just makes total sense. But it's like having Coburn do the accents also and the idea of casting German actors in those roles is like, you know, it's a good idea. It's like, uh, it's, it's more interesting than casting a bunch of Americans 
alongside mm. Coburn and having them just do their regular yes. accents and, you know, saying, oh, they're Germans, though, you know, like how you would do in like the like Valkyrie or something, you know, um, the Tom Cruise mm. movie, you know, <laughs> yeah. never, never you saw get a bunch one. of British actors and, yeah, exactly. and Tom Cruise. That's yeah. like the classic way of doing it. Like, like, and like James Mason doesn't really seem like he's attempting much of a much of an accent. In this he, movie. Like, he could not be bothered. Yeah, he could not yeah. Be <laughs> but which is you know which is whatever. But I thought um yeah Coburn and and Shell especially I thought that both their accents were good. I I really you know you called Shell cartoonish during your um, intro. I thought I really enjoyed his performance quite well, a bit actually. But I mean sorry. I agree with you. he's like sort of like cliched. He's cliched he's such old officer guy, but he is such a dick from the first moment you <laughs> yeah. meet him. Uh, yeah, and uh, I guess. He's a character without much subtlety, and that's okay. Like, because he is good, and um, I think where things go, like it works out. But like again, like you know, I think you have a general sense of his deal from the first minute you see him. He's like, he's the like war is good, piece of shit. I'm going. I like. I don't care about my men. I care about my own glory. He's that guy from the first minute. Sure, that's fair. Um, I thought he, I think he pulls it off. He's a good he's a good casting choice for that yes. type of role. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I always liked Maximilian Shell a lot. Uh, but uh, yeah. Um, let me let me let me let me. Oh, the um the the so the section where Coburn is injured and he goes to the hospital. This is one of my issues with the film, okay? Issues. Yeah, I I okay. I, I like <laughs> okay. this I like the scene. Uh I like the way that his PTSD is dealt with, like the idea of him uh just the way the editing is done there, like he sees he sees oh, the... people that aren't there and then he's and then nobody's there but yeah. they're back and you know like I like all I, that. I, I thought all that. that was really well handled. I just felt like it was weird in terms of pacing, like it was a weird choice to, it felt too early in the film for it, for him to be out of yeah. commission and suddenly we're in this hospital for like 20 minutes. Well, it was almost like, a. it was almost like, like we are going through like the first hour, like goes through the pacing of like a two and a half hour war film, just like in that first hour. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is. And I wrote like, one of my notes is damn that romance is quick um <laughs> just the the way that that all happens you know, they sleep and they sleep together and then immediately like oh my boy is back in commission you know what my concussion's over i can go back um well you did get the impression that he was like against doctor's orders kind of thing right yeah oh yeah absolutely mm. but and also you know she's asking him like about you know why he wants to go back and like it, it, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff uh, happening there, sort of with the uh, the Coburn character, but um, and I I also didn't feel like that was to say the romance is quick, sure, but I didn't get the impression that it was, that was any sort of an actual oh, relationship. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, he's yeah. obviously just like fucking the nurse I'm, who was works with the. You know. No, I, I'm bringing like my English patient brain into this. You know, oh, like yeah, <laughs> it, it's certainly not a romance. Um, <laughs> but the uh, I. I really enjoy it. There's like, I don't know. I, I love the editing in this like entire section of the movie from, um, yeah. from that, the, 
the Russian attack that becomes the disaster counterattack, you know, from which uh, Stransky tries to get the Iron Cross bullshitting. Um, like the way that is all cut together and like it, it devolves sort of into like devolves from like the slow-mo cuts all around the battle to like the sort of like psych out, like cutting out of time. Uh, and it goes from like a muzzle flash, like smash cut to like the, uh, like the pencil flashlight in his eye. Uh, yeah, absolutely loved that. Um, yeah, I mean, just visually, I, I agree that like narratively the section was weird, but, um, everything visually that was happening in the section, I just like, was like, I'm so impressed by uh, and, yeah, and it was also, one of the only sections of the movie where I was like, I'm so impressed specifically by the visual and by the editing and what it's doing. But yeah, I also think that's some of uh, like what makes Coburn's uh, performance interesting happens in those scenes, too, because he's not speaking a lot in those scenes. He's just sort of reacting to to the editing almost like reacting to what he's seeing and then not seeing and so on and so forth. I really like that. I love a scene where a guy's just running through a field for no reason (laughs) for half a second at a time. Half a second. Where do you find that? It's so true. It's so true. He does love his short, short cuts. Doesn't he? Um, Coburn looks like David Bowie. Anybody, anybody seeing this? I see that. Yeah. In this movie. Specifically, like every time he's on screen, I was like, "Yeah, he looks just like Bowie." He's like, he has Bowie's eyes, like exactly his eyes. I don't know. It's really wild. Did you guys look up how old Coburn was when he made this? Uh, When it was released, I didn't look it up, but I remember I read the trivia and it said that everybody thought he was way too old to play the role. Mm. He was uh, was 49 when the movie was released, so probably 49 or 48 when it was filmed. There's just something about Coburn was like he's always looked sixty. Yeah, he's always had white hair. Only ever right? looked sixty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, did he have white hair in The Great Escape? No. I think it was probably gray. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie. That'd be like the earliest, maybe the well, that was, thing I've seen him in. Really, was that like fifty-five, sixty-three, no. sixty. Way off. Sorry. That's all right. Um, yeah, I'm just not like a like I haven't seen a ton of Coburn stuff from like the sort of classic period, you know. Like I've seen I like I got introduced to him in movies like Maverick and Payback, so mm-hmm. like in the '90s. So like that's how I knew him for a long time. And then my dad was a huge Great Escape fan, so we watched that. But it's yeah, you know, it's, it's sorry. Looking at pictures, it's like it's brown, but with the lighting, it's going gray. Yeah, he's, he's, had, he's got that Steve Martin syndrome where it's like he's early, early gray, early white. Yeah. Yes, it's wow, it's bizarre. Okay. I did like I, I do also like the um, any movie that has this and this specifically reminded me of Cold Mountain. I know we talked about Anthony Minghella a lot on this podcast now. Uh, Jack White. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jack White. Um, uh, specifically, uh, that's the scene with the Soviet females when they infiltrate their the house that they're in, and they, you know, there's the sort of rape that happens and the um, attempted rapes that happen, 
and uh all that stuff reminded me of uh of cold mountain and 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 what i always loved about cold mountain was that it's essentially like a series of these set piece scenes where uh jude law's character is you know he's traveling and he comes across natalie portman's character and then he has to help her and then he's it's almost like episodic you know and that was Mm -hmm. like like i always love stuff like that in movies and like this is i really like that like that section in this movie where they come across these women and suddenly we're like in this like episode of something that's that's sort of it's telling us something thematically about what the movie is trying to get at but it's also sort of disconnected from the plot you know it's not like necessarily um super heavily connected to the main through line of like stransky and everything else that's going on with them and the inner politics of the german officers versus steiner and everything so i really like that that whole thing well and in that plot wise that is a way for um the platoon to get rid of the we'll call him like uh the office rat um who has his dick bitten off and yeah that's true i mean the um but he couldn't have known that was going to happen, right? No, no, of course. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's like he sent um, him in there like, okay, this 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 lady's gonna bite his dick off. So <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But the, and honestly, when 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 he walked into that room, the barn or whatever, and he put her on her knees and he pulled down his he pulled his pecker out, like I was like immediately I paused it and I was like, dude this guy's going to get his dick bitten off. And I had to go look it up if that was what was going to happen. Cause I was like, I can't handle the shock of that just happening. But of course it happens off screen. You just hear him scream. Yeah. I don't, it wasn't totally super fine. shocking. Yeah. Yeah. No, it wasn't bad, but I was just so worried it was going to be, cause I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to see that. Like, I don't know what it's going to look like. I got my, you know, <laughs> that scene was a great, uh, well, that scene was, um, helped I'm trying to find my words here. Like they're German soldiers and like the Germans in this war are not sympathetic characters. And it like, we've been reminded before that like these guys, his platoon, they're not like the best guys, but they are a group who care about each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, that definitely was reinforced in that scene where it's like, we've got multiple guys who are pretty comfortable. Um, potentially raping these uh these soviet women like the these are not these are not good dudes uh and i think that would be um like we haven't been like sympathizing necessarily with them because they're they're nazis and if this was a a group of american soldiers in europe and like we we dealt with that i feel like it would be handled very differently no, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is interesting how, well, I mean, although it feels like in, in a lot of these cases, like you, like the soldiers don't, if you like putting yourself in the, in the perspective of the soldier, they don't, they don't look at it like it is rape, right? They're not looking at it like I'm taking advantage. Not that that makes it okay. Yeah, I don't want to like, put excuse. in the position of where I'm defending these guys. Who are doing, but I'm just saying, like, um, like from their perspective, like it's it reminds me of like uh, like John C. Riley and uh, Casualties of War, where he's 
Michael J. Fox says something to him about what they're doing. You know how they kidnap this girl and they're going to rape her. And he's like, you know, how what, how can we be doing this? Like, this is insane. And uh, John C. Riley, he's like, he's like, no, man, it's like we're like we're like Genghis Khan. You know, it's like it's awesome. It's like this is what you do when you're at war. You know, you you take advantage of the other side's weaknesses or whatever. So I don't know where I'm going with that or why. It's just like. That's, no, it's that's it's effectively horrifying. Cause, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's it is horrifying. That's what that's that's the point of it, right? Yeah. And, and even if know. it were, even if it were, I mean, the Coburn is like the they do a lot to to make you, um, to not to force you not to identify Coburn as a Nazi, right? Like he's he's vocal about how much he dislikes the Nazis. He doesn't like yeah. the war. He doesn't like uh, the officers, you know. He doesn't agree with any of that shit. He gets mad when people associate him with it. And, and he's and, not one of the rapists. He's, like, not into it. He grabs that guy by the hair and, like, drags him out of the, the water whenever he's trying to kiss on that girl. I don't want to say he's the only good guy, um, but, yeah, he's the only one where they, they make it, very clear you know this is uh he's forced into this he's trying to keep the people around him alive this is a class issue it's not a a political estate anything like that issue for him um but it does the movie does or i don't know the movie but um you know the guy who almost raped the girl in the bathtub wanted to rape the girl in the bathtub like he dies a couple scenes later uh at the hands of Stransky's uh, lieutenant. And, um, you know, he does get like a freeze frame flash of like, you know, like I'm pissed off this guy's dead kind of deal. Um, and that's okay because he is James Coburn's guy and that is who James Coburn cares about. And obviously this movie's not, Peck and Paul doesn't seem concerned with investigating that like that as a moral dilemma or anything right like he's not like you know coburn but coburn appreciates this guy even though he acknowledges that he is a potential <laughs> rapist you know what i mean like no no, no. yeah it, i don't even mean to suggest that the movie should be doing that no I, not that it should, i agree it shouldn't be but i'm saying like that's that's what i mean it's like I, if you're if you're watching this movie and you're saying well what are we supposed to feel bad for this rapist it's like no you're, you're not you you're watching it you're you're watching his death from the perspective of the guy who loves him right yeah and, oh. and and i think this movie is interesting because like it is I mean, again it, these are nazis these are not they're nazis in the sense that like they're fighting for germany sure. um but like they're it, it's okay that they are not awesome people the best people um they are the men available and they are the men that our main character has an emotional <laughs> attachment to. Sorry. I was going to say, I was gonna say but from their perspective, they are perfect because they're the Aryan race. I was going to make a joke. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> anyway. Well, reminds me of, uh, there was a Mitchell and Webb sketch. You guys might have might have seen like a clip from it. Like, this something I've just noticed. Our caps, they have skulls on them. Yeah. Are we the bad guys? <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, it is uh, interesting though that you you make a movie from the perspective of Nazi soldiers. Then who who do you make the enemy? 
the Nazi officers over the soldiers, right? It's like, it's like mm-hmm. if you had made a movie like this and made the enemy the Americans, yeah. then it's like you talk about a real failure you'd have on your hands with the American audiences. Yeah, and well, and I was so again the only other movie I can think of, like off the top of my head, from the the German uh, perspective, and it's not World War Two, it's not Nazis, is a. Uh, all Quiet on the Western Front, mm-hmm. and All Quiet on the Western Front is very similarly like about class, like about, um, you know, these like kids were kind of duped into into fighting this war. And this movie is like James Coburn is like, I hate the officers, and uh, we have that whole sort of dialogue with Stransky, uh, where. Steiner's like your Fuhrer has said that like class should be abolished. We're all just like Germans or however he words it. And uh and Shransky's like, I am a Prussian no oh, yeah, it's like, like, like says, I yeah. am not the same. Um and that's all cool. Um this was definitely a, a focus in the recent uh All Quiet on the Western Front remake as well, but uh mm. but shitty because that movie sucked. <laughs> Um, how, we, how, how, how do we, how do we feel about the ending? Apparently, uh, he has asked Coburn to improvise because they ran out of money and they didn't know how to end it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, my notes, my note says uh, the supposedly improvised ending lacks uh, power. Um, they have this uh. whole uh, fake rail yard set up with explosives, and. Um, the idea of, I don't know, the, the idea of Coburn shooting uh, the gay blackmailed lieutenant, but not shooting Stransky was like a little lame to me. Uh, that's why it lacked power. And, but, and then like okay, it's like we needed them to go out together. And when he reveals himself to be an idiot, although we knew he was an idiot, uh, and Coburn just starts laughing, like that's not bad. Coburn. Right. It's like it's like it's it reminds me of like it's he wants the glory that Coburn is getting that Coburn doesn't even want, right? The the, the Iron mm. Cross. And but whenever he's put in a situation where he actually has to do some soldiering, it's I like an embarrassment, right? Can't like, reload he, the fucking gun. Because I don't know how to reload the gun. <laughs> uh, that's great. And, I mean, it, doesn't Coburn say like I'll show you where iron crosses are grown? Something like that. Mm. And it, yeah, it's um uh, the 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 movie ending with Coburn laughing at Stransky not being able to load a gun and sort of thus laughing at probably his like sealed fate like you know <laughs> I'm with this idiot I'm probably gonna die um, right. that's not bad but um, the way that we get there I just thought was a, a little lame I mean it's haphazard and like obvious it feels unplanned like it feels like mm-hmm. They, you know, they ran out of opportunity and means to complete Which what they were doing. They did, but um, but I do like the. I don't 100 percent understand it or even know if it needs to be understood. But like the, the cut to the stock photos at the end of the people being hanged. Like I don't know what that's about, but I I don't know. I like the juxtaposition. I thought it was and the and the kids' choir coming back. I know Kevin hated that, but I, <laughs> I thought the uh, kids' <laughs> choir coming back it was good. Oh man. 
Oh, when when Jr. mentioned uh, the English place, and I just could, couldn't help. You know, like, <laughs> Sex in the Kevin, tub. you don't. That Kevin, you one. don't like the movie. <laughs> I hate it. Yeah. Why didn't you say so? You're fired. <laughs> if Jr. had the power to fire you, you would be fired. You that is fired. not oh, true. That is not true, Kevin. <laughs> you had a unique observation. I never have unique observations. That's great. It's true. Keep them up. You get, keep re, keep rewatching those uh, those British cl- comedy classics and uh, comparing <laughs> other movies. To them. <laughs> Um, so well there's a there's a third uh connection to oh, uh, so in in the in the monty python show flying circus they have a sketch called sam peckinpah's salad days and it Sounds opens great. you know you know it's very like you know flowery and uh it's a bunch of people standing around in tennis outfits i say nigel catch and then they throw a ball at michael palin and then Blood just starts spewing out of his eye, and next thing you know, like people's <laughs> limbs are being hacked off with tennis rackets, and people great. are just falling apart. And yeah, so <laughs> check that one out. Yeah. Um. Quick note. Uh, this was a failure in America. This um, no, cr- critically and uh, and financially. This made money in um, in Europe and did especially well in uh, West Germany. And um, it, it was also a, uh, a German-U.S. co-production. This movie has a sequel. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Called uh, Breakthrough. And I Richard did not Burton. know this. I did not know this until today. And Ri- yeah, so Richard Burton plays a uh, Sergeant Steiner, so he takes that uh, office job apparently. Fuck yeah, that officer <laughs> job, excuse me, not office. And uh, Helmut Grime plays Major Stransky. Um, was Stransky promoted? Is Major above Captain or below? I don't know. It's above. I don't know. Okay, sorry. Right. So, so they've both been promoted. Uh, Raj Steiger's in this as well. Um, some of some of the actors came back. Some of the German Steiger? actors. Steiger. No, I, I decided to go full German with it. Um, um, Steiger. Yeah, Dieter, <laughs> Dieter Scheidor comes back for the sequel. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I mean, not many of the Germans lived, so that's good. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I apparently this is not good. I, I, I see no positive reviews for it. I mean, third, mm. three stars. Okay, whatever. I, I'm looking at Letterboxd, not like on metacritic or anything but um i just i was dumbfounded to see that there was a sequel because um you know it's uh it's a movie where the ending uh if not ambiguous is definitely you know <laughs> coburn just laughing at uh Stransky being an idiot just makes you think like they're gonna die really <laughs> they don't the um the sequel is, I believe, it's rated PG, and it's di- it's directed by the guy who directed McClintock and Chisholm and, and uh, it, Mitchell. So, and it was wow. uh, and it was a German production. This is a uh, financed in Germany type deal, although you know oh, Andrew, he, Andrew McLaughlin is not German. The director also directed the uh, TV sequel to The Dirty Dozen, 
the Dirty Dozen next mission. Oh, this guy, this guy had a, this guy had a, a brand. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, did um, um we didn't talk about David Warner? What you guys feel about David? Oh, Warner? I love David Warner in this. David guy. Warner's he's, fantastic. He's such a like like dry prick. He's great. Mm. I, I I felt like he was in charge of um of handing us our like our clearest uh like thesis. But um, but he was great. Mm. I mean, he's he's reliable. I mean, you know, he's uh he's always good. He's playing a very he plays a similar character in um in Masada, the TV miniseries. I think I talked about it last year. Um, where he plays a sort of second in command to the Roman general, plays who's played by Peter O'Toole, and he's sort of equally acerbic and. Just, you know, has had enough. <laughs> he's, he's great. Yeah. Anyway, um, I mean, that's all my notes. Yeah, I think I've done all my notes. Um, yeah, man, I'm now I'm out. Ratings? I'm no. going two and a half. Ouch. I'm going three and a half. And I'm going four and a half. I love this movie. Whoa. I can't, I cannot quit this movie. Constant upward <laughs> progression. No, I mean, it was a four Indeed. and a half before. Not, and I'm oh. saying for, for us, two and a half, three and a half, four and a half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, this is, all right. I, I think this, this isn't his, uh, Peck and Paw's best, but it's, I, you know, what is his I, best? I love, so much of it. What's his best? Uh, probably, I think it's the Wild Bunch. See, I think it's the Getaway. No shit. Okay, yeah. that is wow. That is not on my radar at all. I have the Getaway is his eighth best movie. Wow. Um, so, at various points, uh, the Wild Bunch, Straw Dogs, and Cross of Iron have all been number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got, I've got. Alfredo Garcia and Pat Garrett uh, and the bout of Cable Hogue apparently okay, ahead of the, um, the getaway. Straw Dogs um, would be number two for me and then Wild Bunch. And uh, I think if if we were ever to like so what Kevin was saying about the one note thing, if there was ever a movie to uh, to disabuse Kevin of that thought it would probably be the bout of Cable Hogue. Not that that's not like a masterpiece or anything but it, it does show a very different side of a uh, of Sam Peckinpah. It's like yeah. a western comedy. It's a transitional western comedy. Uh, All right, so we're last year at... I read oh, um, well last year I read the um the book that um The Getaway is based on, the Jim Thompson book. Oh, okay. And it's one of those like it's actually like there are a number of books that I have read where, like, in the movie, Steve McQueen plays the lead. But as I'm reading the book, I'm like, this is, like, blatantly, like, they're writing this for Paul Newman. <laughs> so, uh, like, this, like, that, that right. one and uh, Soldier in the Rain, like, you know, they're, like, Soldier in the Rain is uh, this William Goldman book where this, this kind of not very bright dude is in the army and he's, you know, 
that he's about to be discharged and he doesn't know what he's going to do with his life. And then, you know, he's kind of a, you know, talker schmoozer. And I'm like, like, I can't see Steve McQueen in this at all. Like, this is like, this is Paul Newman, you know, like this is so Paul Newman. (laughs) Okay. I I feel um, that. I feel that. We're going to do a roulette now, right? Yes. So Coburn, Maximilian Schell, James Mason, David Warner, Klaus Lowich, and Vadim Glauna? <laughs> sure, dude. All right. Hey, yeah. fuck it. <laughs> Rolling. Okay, the answer. You're going to have to trust me on this one. It's David Warner. <laughs> All right. Um, All right. So this is probably the one that I that I'm I have a small, you know, a ch- there's a chance that I could have won. He's been in like a bunch of American schlock. Yeah. Um, and I have seen some schlock. Uh, <laughs> uh, we all, we all have. And as of recently, I've seen scream too, you know? So I, that's true. You're going to fuck me up with that. Cause I know you, I bet you've seen fucking time bandits. I know you've seen that and probably Tron and yeah. shit, huh? Yeah. These classic you haven't movies seen that, Tron? that everyone's no, seen. seen Tron, dude. Who's seen you Tron? Seen Tron? What the fuck? No, I've seen Tron legacy twice. Tron Legacy rocked. Tron isn't even good, and Tron Legacy is not good. What the fuck is wrong with you? Tron Legacy is good. <laughs> the Grid. Great. Twice in the theater. Great sell. Great sell. Wow. Way. That's good. Okay. Thank you. That's opening track. From the soundtrack. Well, I love Daft Punk. Oh. <laughs> I don't like Daft Punk, but that is, that is a good score. Um. Okay. Well, my number is nine. Thirteen. Oh fuck. Yeah, you all are fucked. Nineteen. Okay. <laughs> I'll take the hit on that one. All right. Yeah. yeah um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, the secret of the ooze. You bitch. Of course, I've seen that. I saw it in the. Jr. Theater. Have you seen the Hogfather? Uh, no, I don't. I've oh, not. Well, get on it. Have you guys seen when Christmas the rolls island? around? Get on it. See, I want to watch the island. Like the Michael, Michael Bay Ritchie. movie? No, Michael Ritchie. Oh, okay. It's from the 80s. Mm. It has uh, Michael Caine in it. It's supposed to be like... Oh. Jay talked about it on an episode of Film Junk like 10 years ago, and it seemed really cool. I just never watched it. It's on my watch list. Anyway. All right. The number is... Let's see what I'm watching. 356. Jesus Christ. Like page four? Yeah, page four. 356 is... Uh, oh, it's To Kill a Mockingbird. It's lame as fuck. You know, I've seen this movie, but not since like high school. Mm. I could get into this. You saying it's lame, Jr.? Uh, sorry, because everyone's seen it and everyone has to read that every year. Yeah. I um, never read it. You never read this book? No, I was. The government it. never forced you to read this book. I was assigned <laughs> it. I didn't read it. Okay. I cheated off the girl in front of me. This is one like that I read in like seventh and ninth grade, like one of those books. Oh, Jesus God. <laughs> the girl in front of me, her name was Amy, and she would literally lean back so I could look over her shoulder at her answers. What kind of she, deal did you have going with her? I don't know. It wasn't even spoken about. She just or like, her like cleavage. Like what was the deal? She did have cleavage and still does uh but but that was not something that uh that was not the primary reason i was looking i was looking to get the answers because i wanted to pass english 
because I knew one day I would have to become an English teacher and teach this garbage to people. <laughs> Wait, no. did, did you teach this at Park Forest? Nah, no, I never taught this. Um, we didn't do classic shit like this. We did the Giver and Hatchet at Park well, Forest. I mean, those are classics of their I mean, own kind, not but yeah, really. But <laughs> I mean. I don't so like I don't modern classics I guess you know it's like yeah I give uh, that's a classic so we do book clubs every Mm -hmm. year in eighth grade and uh, this is an option like they can choose to read To Kill a Mockingbird in a group of four or five which is hilarious because it's like um, there are so many things about this book where it's like you should probably have an adult like giving you context and stuff yeah but we're just like nah you fig- you figured out you fucking deal with it now i will say <laughs> kevin are you gonna watch this also because if you are and you don't if you, this is not working for you then we can like i don't know when the last time you watched this was it's just uh, over two hours it's, it's been a while two years it says you marked no. it as watched two years ago Oh, you might well, have just marked I, it though. There is a yeah, yeah. I I just marked it. I haven't seen it in a long time. There's no way I've seen this since high school. I mean, I would say over half my life ago. I didn't watch Trish from Shandy, so I'm gonna watch that and this. And I would say Kevin's under no obligation to watch this, considering how he beat me. Also, I'm in last place. Yeah, I mean. Cool. I say if you, you want to watch it, watch it. If you don't, it's all good. Okay. I say you watch this, and um, Kevin and I are definitely going to watch like uh, YouTube highlights of it. Nice. nice. <laughs> and speaking of next episode, it's Kevin's pick. Right. What are we watching? So we are going to watch Big Night from 1996. Oh, Directed uh, yeah. by Stanley Tucci and Tucci. Campbell Scott. And starring, yeah, Stanley Tucci. Is this a restaurant movie? Yeah, it yes, is. it is. It's I remember seeing list. this is one of those blockbuster um, cover art. It totally is. It really is, isn't it? And Tony Shalhoub yeah. is in it, and Mark. But yeah, Anthony. like there's. Yeah, but like yeah, Shalhoub, Tucci, Mini Driver, Isabella Rossellini, Leave Schreiber, Christine, Ian Holm. Christine. Oh, never mind. I was reading that one. Yeah. Allison Janney. Jack O'Connell. Yeah. Yeah. Campbell Scott. Oh, that's not the same guy. I'm somebody else. Campbell Scott. Ian Holm. Yeah. All right. Yeah, man. So we'll be watching Big Night from 1996 next time on the Filmiac Podcast. Thanks for listening. Visit our website, filmiacpodcast.com, uh, and email us at filmiacpodcast.gmail.com. Thank you for listening so much to this insanely long episode. And uh, until next time.